1: Trace for yourself with 25% off at Ritual.com slash podcast.
0: Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Fallout. Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I am bringing you another conversation with another content creator about our expectations for the Fallout TV show. I'm trying to get a wide ranging field of interpretations and perspectives on this, and today I have a YouTuber, a podcaster, a Twitch streamer, Follower Toshi joining me to share some opinions. Follower Toshi! Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you. I'm doing well. Good, good. Yeah, so uh, you and I have been chatting a little bit uh, before this episode and then also (laughs) early on in this episode, and and actually you had reached out to me and said, hey, I'd like to get you on the show and do an interview. So we're turning this into kind of like a double episode thing. We're going to talk about the Fallout TV show, but then you're going to ask me some interview questions on the second half. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Oh, yes, yes, indeed. It's going to be a good time.
0: So here let's let's get started with your interpretation your impressions your expectations your hopes and dreams for the fallout TV show we're still just a few weeks away. And I know in just a few weeks we're going to have a whole bunch of different feelings and thoughts about it because we'll have seen it. But so far we basically have the trailer, and then there was an IGN interview with some of the uh, some of the cast that came out just a day or two ago. Um, mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of information out there. But here, let's let's start this off in just kind of a broad sense. Where are you when it comes to expectations and hopes and and your feelings?
1: All I know is that if Moira Brown isn't in it, I'm going to cry a lot. My, uh, several times yeah I'm okay going to be very sad
0: <laughs> so i'm mean, like seriously are you expecting some very specific characters to show back no up,
1: not or? not really uh i i had a um uh, an episode several months ago uh where i was more so just like hypothesizing on the um uh what the potential plot or the location for the tv series could be mm-hmm. um back then we knew like almost next to nothing but the uh The IMDB page was open and uh, if I remember correctly, I don't remember the names or anything, but there was one character that was listed as like Fiend Raider or something like that. (laughs) And uh, the Fiends are a raiding faction from Fallout New Vegas. And back then my mind was like, okay, well, we're obviously not going to Fallout New Vegas. Uh, We've been to the Mojave, been there, done that. So like where where could they go? Uh, after that and it's it's been a while since i was in that uh that mindset but effectively what i began to hypothesize is that we might actually be going more towards uh like colorado or montana uh sort of off in that like northeastern direction from uh like going from uh the mojave as sort of like a jumping off point and then after that you know once we actually got uh, more information confirmation that we were actually going the other direction and going into California, Yeah, uh, which I was a little bit surprised on. Um, I started to more so like think and hypothesize like, okay, that means, I mean, I mean, you know, with the trailer and everything, we pretty much got maybe not the entire story, but a big swath of like what will actually be happening, um, like just front and center there um but as far as like the larger overarching story i'm not 100 percent sure i've seen some people say that like the ncr might be involved and you know that's gonna bring up some lore implications maybe um i me personally i haven't seen any evidence that the ncr is actually going to be in the the first season maybe a second season thing um but as far as like overall expectations I don't know. I'm, I, I, I currently don't really have any, I'm, I'm more so just interested to see what the, uh, what the TV series brings to the table, because this would be the first sort of, I mean, besides the, the tabletop RPG, you know, uh, um, uh, what, what was it? Uh, winter of Adam. Right. Um, besides that, this would really be the first like major lore expansion that we've seen outside of the video game sphere.
0: Yeah, and and that's always a highly contested thing because depending on who you ask, they're gonna say, well, supposedly this is canon, but really I think it's it's just these games. Even some mm-hmm. people are, are, you know, there are people who are like, well, if it's not Fallout One or Two or New Vegas, it's not canon. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if it's a Bethesda title, it's not canon.
1: Or, yeah, like Fallout Three isn't canon, Fallout Four isn't canon. It's like, okay, well then, like right. pretty much nothing's canon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like uh,
0: where are we gonna draw the line? Okay, that's fine. Uh, right. And I get what they're saying is I enjoyed this content more than i enjoy the other content is really what that translates mm. to but yeah yeah that's fine that's fine um but from the perspective of the developers and i've spoken with developers at bethesda before if it's in a game it's canon if it's in, in an official game one of the main games of the series it's canon yeah uh also it seems like todd howard has said this movie is also canon it is effectively like another game that we're getting to watch Uh, And that was the perspective they came at it from. So um, and to to your point of the NCR, I I know that we've seen some images in the backgrounds of pictures of the NCR on, you know, say the logos of buildings and things like that. But outside of that, who knows? Maybe these are just little nuggets that we're getting in the background and we don't actually meet anybody from the NCR in the first season. But maybe we do. Right. So Mm -hmm. we have all of these questions and things. One of the things that um, everything he's coming back to for me when I talk with different guests on this show is the question of what will make this feel like a success to you, regardless of how the story plays out, how the lore uh, falls in line with the stuff that we already know, you know, like are are there going to be new Vegas factions showing up? Are we going to see the NCR? Is the East coast going to be involved? How's the brotherhood aside from all of that, what would make this, a success at the end of the day when you're done the entire first season and you sit back and go well what will make you go that was good i enjoyed that i want more
1: well me personally i have a a pretty optim optimistic isn't i mean i i do have a more so optimistic personality me i think uh based on uh the track record of um partially amazon as a uh, as a development company for uh you know tv series and stuff like that uh outside of the lord of the rings tv series and the um oh gosh what was it um uh okay I, I can't remember the the name of the other one and i don't want to i don't want to bring That's it fine. up without That's remembering fine. the name yeah they have
0: done a number um, at this point so yeah, yeah yeah like
1: they they've done a lot of like really good stuff like uh you know the boys uh invincible
0: yeah, taking on um, the expanse uh exactly they picked up the yeah. expanse and they did yeah. really good there, with that. There, yeah.
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of productions that they've been up that amazon studios specifically has been a part of that have gone really well and some that have just like not gone very well at all um specifically because uh, it, uh jonathan nolan is attached to the project um and obviously he has a lot of experience with like the Dark Knight, and um, um, wow, I'm blanking so hard on, on, like pretty much every other movie. This is really embarrassing because right. I you don't I knew... need to list
0: them all out, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, but like, I mean, idea, I guess though. the Dark Knight yeah.
1: series would be like like the forefront, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think a Nolan movie, that's kind of one of the first things that you know pops to mind. Um, but the the track record there, uh, I think, is pretty solid. So for me, going into this all of the pieces are kind of there for this to at the very least be an overall good experience from a film perspective from a tv series perspective if we're right. talking about like right. ratings and reviews i think it's going to get pretty good reviews however ratings and reviews mean practically nothing to uh to to uh to video game fans uh um, right. well that, that little little maybe not 100 percent true but when it comes to tv series uh they often judge a lot ha- more harshly um we've seen that with the halo series we've seen that more so recently with uh the the avatar the last airbender series which wasn't a video game series it was a cartoon series but yeah same kind of you know, similar a, fandom you know, you, though yeah split, splitting hairs there a little bit yeah. the point yeah. is um the the general audience reception to the uh to the series i think is going to be good to great kind of depends uh on what the actual content of the show is uh the fandom reaction to it i think is really kind of gonna depend on just how a lot of the like lore stuff and uh canonicity comes into comes into play mm-hmm. um from what i've been seeing that's kind of a big thing with uh, a lot of the criticisms about the avatar the last airbender um series that some of it isn't real like it's a lot it's a little bit more wobbly uh, yeah yeah in the fan base
0: the fan base uh from what i've heard about some of the criticism there but fan bases in general don't like it when you throw out things for seemingly no reason like yeah there's a piece of the way the story goes and this is a key component but they just didn't want to even bring that up or mention it that's super weird why not bring that up it feels like an important part right like yeah. you get a lot of that kind of thing it would be like uh if they do the fallout tv series and it's like everyone pretends that the Enclave never existed. Yeah. It which would be like, well, I, that's a little weird. I mean, maybe they aren't the main characters in this story, but like they sh- there's remnants of Enclave and the other games like they're still part of the background world, you know, like mm-hmm. why not at least acknowledge that? Right.
1: That is one of the things that I'm actually hoping isn't a real big you know, like sticking point or plot point. Um, I remember early on when we're still getting like leaks and everything like that, you know, uh, uh, shots from the, uh, from, the, from the, the sets and whatnot. Um, there were a lot of uh, pictures that sort of didn't, you know, outright prove that the Enclave were going to be involved, but at the same time, they were kind of like, oh, they're kind of starting to look like Enclave and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But Enclave is really just, you know, pre-war military. So it could be practically anything. Um, but I, me personally, uh, as far as like expectations and stuff like that, I kind of hope that we don't see... Um, The on Well, first first and foremost, I kind of hope that we don't see the Enclave at all, except for like maybe some like flashbacks, you know, or or just a a a mention, just somebody just somebody have mentioned,
0: you know, like, oh, yeah, the Enclave remnants who did this thing at that one. Yeah, like they they,
1: like like what Fallout New Vegas did, where they're clearly aware that they did exist at one point, but maybe they don't anymore. Maybe they're just brought up in uh they're seen in like you know flashbacks and stuff like that post-war
0: or they're not really important in the local context of what's happening in that one specific area of the world exactly
1: yeah they're they're a presence but they're not like a major faction or anything like that um i kind of hope that we don't really see a whole lot of like you know the you know the big factions uh obviously the brotherhood of steel is going to be in there that was kind of like <laughs> we, <Yeah. laughs> we knew that that was going to happen there, right. there was no real getting around it right vault um, Tech,
0: the brotherhood uh some sort of wasteland group of some sort that's creating yeah. these towns and cities maybe that's associated with the ncr
1: um, me personally i would like to see more of a focus on like like communities or like tribes less about like you know big factions like caesar's legion or the ncr and stuff like that and at least for like the first season maybe the first two seasons more of a focus on the uh uh, on the on the smaller uh more personal uh stories and and settings the the local townships uh the you know area tribes uh one of the one of the the one of my most favorite examples of like tribal interactions or like you know group interactions uh from the Fallout series would is probably um the uh like the sorrows from uh from uh Fallout New Vegas's uh Zion Canyon I don't know what is it uh Honest Hearts uh mm-hmm. DLC in Zion Canyon right. where the story is focusing around the tribe and their struggles right. and that I think what a lot of people is they want or a lot of uh Fallout fans specifically is they want to see like those kind of stories ones that aren't focused on like, you know, the big, like region shaping faction battles and skirmishes and stuff like that. Obviously there can be, you know, big battles like that and stuff, but I think when it comes down to it, especially in a TV format, I think what people really want is that more like small interpersonal, uh, local community kind of, uh, kind of vibe, Mm -hmm. um, like conflicts and, uh, and and happenings and such. That's one of the things that I think made uh, the Last of Us TV series such uh, a success. Is it was that so focused, well, obviously, yeah, like
0: zoomed in on those specific characters.
1: Exactly. It yeah. focused on the uh, the character stories in the areas that they're in, rather than focusing on like the larger macro thing. Because when you focus on the macro, especially in uh, a serialized television format you kind of tend to lose a lot of the uh, a lot of the, you know, it gets lost in the sauce. That's why um, that's why in like things that sort of have like a bigger scope to them. Like uh, what was it Uh man on high castle? I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it. My wife watched it. I, I only caught glimpses of it. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. But like there, there's such like a larger background, you know, going on like half the U S is controlled by the Nazis. Half the U S is controlled by the Japanese. And it's like, you know the japanese empire and there's like a lot bigger of like oh there's like all this like big stuff going on but it's like no the tv show is about you know the people within right this big right. stuff going on right
0: it's through their specific individual character arcs and stories that we the bigger picture is revealed but the bigger picture isn't the primary focus it's the story of the characters exactly yeah and i think they've set us up for that pretty well we have the vault dweller we have the ghoul we have the brotherhood member um, do you think there's different ways to set up stories and story arcs, right? There's the mm-hmm. hero's journey There's uh, there's the odyssey template right this idea And th- this is one of the things that my brain is kind of moved towards Do you think we're going to see the coming together of the vault dweller the? Ghoul the brotherhood member who for some reason leaves the group or gets lost or whatever mm-hmm. and The three of them plus maybe dog Meat plus some other people they might meet along the way end up on some sort of journey together.
1: I'm a little disturbed that you used maybe when when talking about dog meat, as if dog meat's not going to be in the series. Well, come on, Tom. I, I mean, you <laughs> like, know, you know what happens when they add
0: there. dogs into shows? They that's true. Yeah, it, they, it always they, ends they, they, tragically <laughs> at some point, right? So, like, maybe he's along right. a part of the way, and then a oh, tragic or, meat, or like the in,
1: directors kind of like tease it, like, oh, yeah. big explosion, dogs, 100 percent, dog comes back, like literally a minute before the credits roll. Right. Yeah, like, oh, something like that. Or
0: or with a character like the ghoul, you know, the ghoul seemingly has been around for a while before the bombs dropped we get these glimpses Mm -hmm. of him with his daughter it seems
1: like um and then i I had almost forgotten about that that specifically i think is going to be more of a big deal specifically walter goggins and like his story because i i i'm you know i'm watching the trailer and everything and I'm going through it and I see, you know, Walter Goggins riding away on a horse. Is it Walter or Walton?
0: I think it's Wal- Walton. Walton? Is it Walton? Yeah, Walton. I've made this mess. Yeah, Walton Goggins. I've, I've, okay. I've made this mistake before and people have commented
1: right. it. Yes. <laughs> um, you, you get more distracted with pronouncing his last name correctly. Yes, don't worry about right. his first name. <laughs> yeah, the, first, the,
0: last, the last name is the more interesting Goggins. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I'm
1: watching the trailer and I see Walter Googles on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see uh, Walton Goggins uh, on the horse at the very end of the trailer and i'm sitting there and i'm thinking that's interesting especially since they show him with a child and stuff Yeah, because they don't normally especially in flashbacks they don't include kids in uh tv or movie flashbacks unless is some sort of like you know some sort of parallel between then and now right right if drawing it back to yes. the last of us that's what we saw with uh joel's daughter um yep. and you know the comparison between her and uh, and Ellie, yeah, it and helps us think... understand
0: the character and their motivi- motivations, the things they care about, those kinds of exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. I think if if Bethesda's, you know, obviously Bethesda's got their hands in and stuff. I think that that sort of parallel, specifically, is already off to a better sort of you know, uh, fathered uh, son or like parent uh, parent child uh, dynamic than we had uh, in the beginning of Fallout Four. Do you think he's um,
0: going to be the father character for the vault dweller who leaves because she's a young woman who's out on I her think, own?
1: I think that he... I don't... It's. I think it's going to kind of depend on who her father is because I remember that there was a lot of speculation on whether or not... Um, I'm blanking on her name. What, what was her name again?
0: uh the actress or no the, know, the, so the, the character names. she the plays character just, i'm so bad at character names uh fallout tv show characters <laughs> so i'm just gonna look it up we're just googling it right now uh, right uh, internet why you, uh ella pernell gene gene it says gene yeah her character's name is gene yeah the brotherhood guy's maximus i remember that i guess it's yeah Jean. yeah, yeah. Gene. Why really? didn't okay. I I guess I never realized this. Why have I not names are not like I have these weird quirks in my brain, labels uh-huh. for things and names fall out really, really easily. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like all the time. So uh no, that is a location. That is a that's a town. Um anyway, it might be it might be Gene. The internet yeah. seems to think, uh, Gene. Yeah, you know, it's Gene. according to, Weird. yeah, no, no, it is. That's right. Um, mm, okay. Thank you. Thank well, you listeners for, uh, waiting for us to figure that out while everybody just right? yells at your listening
1: device. This is, this is, this is what happens when you do literally zero prep time. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I don't think that, um, it, cause again, it's going to kind of depend on whether or not, um, Gene uh whether or not her father is uh the overseer of the vault she came from Mm -hmm. because from from what i remember there was a lot of like speculation and like uh maybe not theorizing but kind of like just like general buzz where it's like oh uh her dad is the overseer um and then you know she's she's she either has to leave or leaves her, her own volition completely unrelated to any uh coercion or or uh dependency which based on everything we saw i don't think is the case um there's a very high likelihood that uh if her father is the overseer maybe he dies uh in like the first episode and then she leaves the vault right um and that could be a reason why she leaves the vault but it's gonna kind of depend on the relationship between her and her father whether or not her father is dead and i guess more so how uh how gene and walter goggins character uh are going to like interact i think he's just called the ghoul right now Yeah, he's the Ghoul, um, right yeah right um
0: but which, it's it seems like he's become some sort of ranger some sort of lawman something like he's, that
1: he's definitely a deputy of, yeah. uh, of some kind he's yeah. definitely feeling that um uh that that megaton sheriff uh kind of role right um right. But I think it's really going to it's going to it's going to kind of depend mostly, I think, on what Jean's relationship was with her father. And if we speculate that, uh, you know, the ghoul had some sort of, you know, maybe maybe his young child died uh, during the during the bombs uh, and and or uh, the subsequent uh, fallout. Roll roll the that's, that's it roll credits thanks everybody uh, we're done yeah and that's it for the podcast today join our <laughs> um uh it, it it could be likely that she uh uh the ghoul's daughter died uh as a result of either i think that's um, i think
0: that's seemingly implied is that yeah is the yeah. bombs drop He picks her up on the horse because he's in some sort of outfit. Maybe he's an entertainer or something, Uh, but he's like, "Okay, we got to get out of here. Let's go. And then he picks up the girl and they leave Mm -hmm. and then flashback forward and him, you know, like staring off at the distance, remembering and missing her, you know, like that kind of thing. Like maybe maybe she didn't even die due to that, but maybe she didn't become ghoulified and she just didn't live as long as he did you know like
1: i i think i think what's more likely is that uh you know the bombs dropped and everything uh and then the two of them had to go into like survival mode yeah and you know like you know more so specifically learn how to survive in this world right um whatever sort of background uh the ghoul had when he was uh you know not a ghoul uh, whatever sort of background he has, he has to kind of learn to adjust to that. If, as you sort of insinuated there, he was an actor at one point. Um, Cause he's in a really
0: act- funny looking Western Outfit it, it, right It
1: is so it is very yeah it is very sort of like stagey it like, is stagey like, so
0: it's either yeah. because he's an actor or it's because pre-war America was that just that cheesy which sometimes it, it is you know like yeah. you look at some of the old footage and stuff like some of that like 1950s style stuff like it's very similar to uh, the, the cowboy outfit that um in back to the future. That uh Marty yeah puts on thinking that this is the way they dressed in the old west and then everyone looks like yeah.
1: looks at him like he's everybody's idiot. like you look like an idiot <laughs> right right
0: and it's like oh, okay But like right that's in like it could be either of those things right like one or yeah. the other also Why would he have a horse? <laughs> exactly, Like yeah. they have just cars random horse it just happens Hollywood. to have a horse <laughs> so it makes sense that maybe he's on a set filming yeah. some sort of western or something and the the horse is there and they got to go and because the bombs are coming in. So they just take off yeah. on the horse, you know. Um, but like, I, I also think that there's a if there is a tragedy that happens with his daughter or the, mm-hmm. maybe it's not even his daughter. Maybe it's a little girl that he was helping take care of because of the tragedy that was happening and they just got stuck it together. Be. It could be. Yeah, he could be an adoptive kid, an adoptive father in a way. Um, yeah. But w- you need a way in these types of shows to fill in the world. And an understanding of the world to people who don't play the games Mm -hmm. and so you need a way to put them in the mindset of a character Like the ghoul and give us a sense of how dangerous the world actually is Mm -hmm. And so you do that through flashbacks, but you also do it through emotional connections So if somebody Mm -hmm. like the ghoul goes through this loss and loses this girl to raiders or You know starvation or whatever the hardships of the wasteland Mm -hmm. It all of a sudden sets, you know, stakes like there there are stakes there We know that there are people who are suffer have suffered and continue to suffer We know that the world out there is tough to live in and it doesn't just look run down and weird because it was the end of the world There are people who are in fact, I would say the majority run down and weird who yeah The majority of people you're gonna come across are just scraping by they're emotionally damaged because this world is hard and so You have the contrast and this is one of those fundamental things in fallout the contrast between the hardships that the wastelanders are going through and then somebody who grew up in a vault and And I
1: I think that specifically because one of because if there is going to be some sort of like the ghoul becomes sort of like either uh, a guide a mentor an adoptive uh, father to Gene uh <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just an odd character name for her. I don't know. Uh, uh maybe I'm wrong, but uh, if he does become sort of that like father figure to her, I think the maybe a primary reason is because he sees a lot of that same unprepared for a more savage world uh in her that he saw in his daughter, his right. adoptive daughter, where right. that child was, right, and himself. And he can both relate to that uh personally uh from his own lived experience being a post-war or a pre-war ghoul and the experience of his daughter seeing what happens when somebody is that kind of like level of unprepared that's kind of something that they sort of like they were yeah yeah they were they were kind of getting that uh like pushing that point at the uh at the beginning with that guy the beginning of the trailer with the guy at the campfire with the dog that eats the rad roach uh, where he was kind of like he, that specifically, he really built up like the horror vibe of the, uh, of the entire series. Like if you're not prepared, it's going to eat you alive. Yeah. And I think that that's really, you know, pushing that more forward. Like this is a dangerous location. This is a dangerous world now. And if you're unprepared for it, you're going to have a bad time. And the ghoul and his daughter, adoptive daughter, whoever that was, they were unprepared for it. She most likely died, not of natural causes. And he, you know, obviously grief stricken and stuff like that, uh, is able to adapt and more so better survive himself, but also sees what happens to people who don't. People who can't yeah. Uh, yeah. adapt or, yeah. or, or learn how to survive
0: and, and maybe feels guilt and and being the ghoul is more human than most of the humans you come across, even though he looks like a monster, you know, like that whole thing probably play into it um
1: all right so we've got that on a bumper sticker
0: (laughs) yeah right it's one of those common themes though is that like you know humans are the real monsters this is a very common theme in fantasy and horror and all that uh but it happens in fallout and um and we do meet ghouls who have a a sense of humanity in a way that sometimes the people around them don't you know and they Mm -hmm. get ostracized it's a it's an analogy for racism and those kinds of things too um so we have those two characters but then we have maximus and the Brotherhood, and I think this is one of the things that a lot of people are debating. Like, it's one thing for us to see, you know, this ranger-looking ghoul character, and go, okay, that feels very Fallout, and a Vault Dweller, go, okay, that feel-, we we know what those things are.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, he's he's badass. I like him right I right. He's the holy. he's the badass
0: like, you know gunslinging. you know, cool Yeah, okay vault dweller. Yeah, I've, I've been that I've done, I've done that a few I times can't, now.
1: I can't wait to hear what kind of one-liners he has. <laughs> oh, They're yeah, be so yeah. good It's <laughs> gonna
0: be so good but I, I think the real question then is Maximus and the brotherhood mm-hmm. and the state that the brotherhood is in and is he coming over from the east coast to the west coast and is I mean he seems like somebody who from what we've seen in the footage is experiencing things for the first time he seems pretty green he mm-hmm. seems like he's out in these battle situations um, he's a little unsure of himself the wasteland is a little overwhelming or just the the sheer scale of the military power that they have or something there's this mm-hmm. this sense this vibe of I don't like my gut is he's not going to be sticking with the Brotherhood for too long
1: that I think I think that that is likely because I think because it as you said it all kind of depends on what sort of um, or not sort of but what group or what faction uh, or not what chapter of the brotherhood right, uh, he's coming right from. the personality um, of
0: the leader is this yeah is this a Maxon style brotherhood like four is this a lion style brotherhood like three is it somewhere between? exactly yeah
1: because yeah. what i'm remembering uh specifically from we talked we talked earlier about the video i made speculating on like where the um where the series could take place and because we knew like early on like the brotherhood was going to it wasn't just like speculation like everybody's like oh no yeah it's fallout the brothers absolutely going to be in there no we knew that the brotherhood is going to be in this series from like you know leaked this leaked that oh stuff even just the logos like
0: on the power armor outfits that we got pictures yeah of and exactly all yeah, and yeah.
1: the power armor was a pretty dead giveaway in and of itself though sure. like sh- come yeah. on <laughs> right um but one of the one of the things that i was speculating with that video specifically n- now that we're talking more about it and i'm remembering more about it is that there's not really Cause we didn't really know when in the timeline uh the story was going to take place. Now we know for sure that it's going to be taking place after the events of Fallout Four. Right. Um with that in mind, and I guess it kind of depends on what the canon ending of Fallout Four is. Um a lot of people say that it's the Minuteman ending. Some people say it's the uh the the Brotherhood ending, the Railroad Institute. I don't think it really matters. Me personally, I think from well, me personally, I think that the uh, the canon ending for Fallout 4 is the Minutemen. Um, but what I think would be the more interesting canon ending would be the Institute, because then yes. that raises a whole bunch of, like, yes, character implications for uh, right. the sole survivor. Right. Uh, it puts the Brotherhood
0: like kind of on the back foot over there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it, it kind of draws into more question, like, well, what's the East Coast going to look like now that the Institute is starting to, like, or is about to like really start expanding which is kind of what it made it seem like maybe that's what they were kind of trying to do they admittedly their motivations are still a little murky but sure sure <laughs> but
0: but just the the potential for more actual synths being around and infesting if, if I can use that word because that's yeah. what's what, what people would feel like the other placing. locations beyond just you know that area like the boston area yeah um, yeah like Um, can you imagine can you can you imagine them hinting at like some character in season one where somebody's like wait a minute you don't really seem the same as you used to did you change right and like those of us who played four are going are they a synth um, what
1: <laughs> what but it's, it's got to be something that they just kind of like drop there and they're just never ever right again. you don't bring they it back up them. to
0: like season three and then all of a sudden season three is like the synth season where like right. all of a sudden people are uncovering that like they've been replaced and there are synths out there and, and yeah then that's when the
1: enclave comes in and the legion comes in and everybody's <laughs> right. just like
0: smashing their action yeah. figures together yeah <laughs> yeah 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 um, my Joe is going to beat up your transformer yeah
1: right yeah get him um but so within along that line one of the things that i was like sort of mapping out like okay where are the brotherhood like post fallout 4 where are they well they're not in california they're hiding in uh in the mojave so the west West. coast is pretty much as far as we know anyway like a complete no-go there's rumors about Uh,
0: like chicago and some other places but but for the most 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 point they're Yeah, probably the west coast right
1: yeah like west coast not really like maybe a little bit like underground but for the most part like on the surface level Mm -hmm. they are not on the west coast right right uh the east coast again it kind of depends on the primary ending of fallout 4 um, they are either a presence there or are sort of like splintered a little bit. Definitely yeah. not completely gone, but definitely uh, on the back foot.
0: Or have um, continued to put offshoot groups in other locations, have continued to right. expand in these like um, almost like scouting party sorts of ways. You know, like, yeah, I would imagine that that would be part of the plan. You're not going to keep everybody all in one place, especially right. if you're still scouting for gear and technology and things that you would be bringing back to your main hub especially
1: when they have like uh you know the citadel is still there just because Maxon's dead doesn't mean that the entire brotherhood is wiped out so the citadel is still there so they're most likely going to pop up at some point along the east coast again right um
0: and who knows what what's going on in appalachia
1: exactly like i was i was going to say like i mean i i don't really think like maybe they sprung up again um maybe not we don't really know as much about uh west virginia Host Fallout 4, but as far as like where on the larger geographical United States continental United States map the Brotherhood are, they are more likely in the East Coast, probably not as much in the West Coast, but we know pretty much nothing about the Midwestern Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I was speculating like, oh, maybe they're more so towards like the Colorado. Uh, area or like m- maybe not closer up Kansas to Kansas City, but kind of like maybe even yeah, yeah. like yeah. leaning more towards into like Illinois. It's like the Heartland area, right? Maybe they're they're closer to that way. So that's kind of where where my my mind was going. Like, oh, okay, so we're probably going to be going over to this part of the location for the show. And then Todd Howard came out of nowhere and said, "No, stupid, we're going the other way." And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> right. yeah, but um, but
0: it may be remnants of the Brotherhood from other locations now coming back to the West.
1: Right, and so that's kind of where I think uh, the big question for uh, Max uh, is Maxim or Maximus, Maximus, yeah, Maximus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I think the big question for his character is: is he a DC transplant? Is he a Midwestern transplant? Is he part of like the last remaining members of, uh, you know, actively functioning um, uh, Brotherhood in you know the the West Coast? what side? you know what where where does does he come come from from? right
0: right i think and i bet he wasn't raised in the brotherhood but he was a like a a convert like but he was found somewhere and then exactly you know as a young man maybe a a teenager or a a older child and just kind of recruited brought in because he didn't have anything else anywhere else to go that's kind of the sense i get from him
1: yeah and because if if we're going with that the the theory that he was um either uh, like a well, specifically if he was a new recruit like that, then he would more so likely have to be either uh Midwest Brotherhood or East Coast Brotherhood because as far as we've seen, they're sort of the only ones who are more so open to outsiders and are like recruiting as more of a active, you know, quote unquote military faction. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here
0: to East- to go on with your your uh institute ending if mm-hmm. if the Brotherhood in Boston takes a big hit. Then maybe they and the leadership changes. Maybe then they become more open to bringing in other people because they need I th- to.
1: I think that that is probably going to be a big factor, especially if um, uh, if if the canon ending a fallout if the canon ending a Fallout Four is the Institute wins, then I think it is more likely that um, uh, Maximus is either a uh, a DC transplant. Because as we've seen with the DC faction specifically, they are much more open to actually like recruiting outside members. That's probably changed a little bit under uh, Maxim or uh, under uh, uh, under Arthur mm-hmm. compared to, um, you know, Elder Lions. But uh, it is also likely that he is a Midwest Brotherhood because we know that they specifically are like completely open to recruitment but since you know there hasn't really been any conversation or uh confirmation from you know todd howard bethesda anything like that that uh the oh gosh which which one which one was it It was uh tactics right that was the uh that was the one with the midwestern brotherhood
0: Uh, i think that are either the brotherhood or steel and or tactics i always get the two confused because because they're not they're non-canon so i don't spend too much time thinking about them um yeah, It kind it, it, of those it all yeah. depends
1: on whether or not they consider uh, tactics to be uh, canon or at least canon light, yeah, um, because I, then like a Midwestern faction could exist and then it could be right. uh, an explanation for where Maxis uh, came from. Um, but I think more likely it's going to be like he's going to be from the East Coast and he's going to be like, as you said, a newer recruit. That's why he seems a lot more uh apprehensive and, and and unsure
0: right yeah he, he looks unsteady in all the trailer yeah. stuff um so here's one more question because we're getting close to the end of of this section of the show because we have to move on to the second half um yeah. with a name like maximus and with the traditional name of leaders and the family mm-hmm. of Maxin, those are very similar sounding words they are do yeah. you think that he's being set up for a character arc where he Starts out with the Brotherhood, he goes away from them, then he comes back and ends up leading them at some point. Is he a future leader, and we're watching his evolution?
1: I kind of hope not, specifically because I feel like it's 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 too easy, and it's too... it's Well, more so specifically, I think it's too obvious, but I also think that it kind of draws attention away from... Uh, away from Gene's storyline because obviously mm-hmm. the now the I, w- entire- I would assume
0: before you get too far on that th- thought I, I would assume that this would be like let's say they're planning ten like five seasons of the show mm-hmm. That this would be something that plays out towards the end of the last season And we don't have any sense of this until like season five where all of a sudden There's an opportunity for him to take control or something right so it, we would still get Gene's story probably for the majority of it. But then the twist at the end is that, like, he ends up becoming a leader of the Brotherhood and that plays into later on conflicts, you know, like, who knows, the Enclave shows back up or the Legion or whatever. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't want it to step on top of Gene's story. I think Gene's story <laughs> is going to be the primary story. And these these other characters are going to be these other side stories that kind of move along with her. Mm-hmm. Um if that was the case, would you still not want that to happen?
1: I mean, if we're talking about like, you know, like five long seasons, arcs, yeah, yeah, like way out there, like in
0: one season, it would be kind of silly for him to go from like green recruit to leader of the brotherhood, yeah, yeah, like that if, would be if, so quick.
1: If they did that, that'd be like that'd be that'd be way too much whiplash, it would be going way too fast, right? Um, but imagine, like, imagine
0: years from now, let's say, you know, five seasons from now, full season set up, he you know he learns a lot he spends time in the wasteland he learns from the ghoul right who becomes kind of this wise character for the two of them he has these adventures where he saves these towns and works with gene to restore the water chip or whatever right they go through all right. these things he grows as a character he goes from being like timid and worried about fighting things and dealing with the wasteland to at four seasons later he is a freaking badass he knows everybody he needs to know he's encountered everything from death claws to super mutants or whatever he survived Mm -hmm. all of it he understands all the technology and he's the man for the job to lead the brotherhood
1: i think that's once again going to kind of depend on what faction of the brotherhood he comes from or what the overall mentality of the brotherhood he comes from well what if it's Um, what if
0: it's a like a dark version of the brotherhood that feels more like the enclave
1: Edgy, and he's edgy the guy ones, like, like, like Shadow the Hedgehog with a gun. Yeah, kinda, yeah, he's got a goatee. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, Let's go, a goatee and tattoos. <laughs> yeah, um, like it's, it's that version, like it's this dark version of the Brotherhood that's been like twisted from a lot of its original intent, and that's part of the reason he leaves. And then he comes back and actually reforms it like he's the hero that they needed in order to bring it back to its glory days or something But oh, damn it, but it everything's because gray directed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a uh, Nolan everything's still gray too.
0: though <laughs> Yeah, so like even the glory days of the brotherhood are s- still kind of isolationist and still kind of you know Like they don't they still take little, things for people without xenophobic. asking. Yeah, yeah, like they're not They're not white knights.
1: So yeah. maybe they're less black but it's still dark, right? Yeah, because I, I, because I do think that that is going to be a, a major, um, a major factor, like what the mentality of the Brotherhood faction that he comes from is. Um, if he's like you know a fresh recruit, then that obviously means that they're a little bit more open to uh, to accepting new people. Um, they could still have some of their more xenophobic, uh totalitarian, like superiorist, kind of like, oh like we don't we don't need your kind, you know, scaver or wastelander, stuff like that. But like if they see potential in you, like, okay, you know, we're 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 a little bit more open to it, but not if you're a ghoul. We we don't want them. Right. Um right. or a robot. Um yeah. If if they have like that kind of mindset um him more so maxis uh traveling with like you know a ghoul and like a vault dweller and stuff like that mm-hmm. it could bring his uh character into like just a better understanding of the world like yeah oh, okay yeah, you know, yeah. ghouls aren't so bad the right. wasteland's bad but you know right. there's there are people trying to like bring it up and you know get something started again right i think the, the that ghoul
0: it, the ghoul saves him and dies in order to do so and it changes his mind about these ghouls and these other people who he didn't think i, d- I do before. i do
1: also anticipate that the ghoul might actually die uh before the end of season two
0: yeah um, I, I wouldn't be surprised about that either there's right that's like mm, but
1: what as far as like him becoming you know with with all that said about like maxis uh and the brotherhood and everything um Ma- maxim maximus max maximus yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um i me personally like i said it kind it's going to kind of depend on the brotherhood itself if if he does you know go on that arc me personally i would rather see him go through uh like a later on just like long form struggle between the uh the goals of the brotherhood and the ideologies of the brotherhood and like what he learned and like what he you know who he is as a person instead of becoming um uh you know like late stage Instead of him becoming like the el- uh, like the you know the the elder like the leader of the brotherhood, right. I would much rather see him in like a paladin role mm-hmm. because that more so to me says you know his character isn't like you know the dragonborn or like of this long bloodline of like <laughs> right. noble warriors right. he's and stuff. The, he's
0: the one who could fix right. and save everything. He's,
1: right? He's 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 not the one. He's just a guy who's out here doing his best and fighting for something he believes in. But when you get to like, you know, season five, he starts having like inflictions like, Oh man, we used, to, I used to like, Rolled with this ghoul who was like really awesome. And like, he did a lot of cool stuff. And like, you know, I met this like super mutant that talks, I met this death claw, I met this, you know, he's, (laughs) he's learned a lot more about the people who actually make up the citizenship (laughs) of the wasteland. So when he's now at this like higher position and there's a lot more expected of him and he's expected to think and act and behave a certain way because of the, you know, the chain that binds and the hierarchy of the, of the brotherhood, he begins to like, question himself. He's like, am I, am I, it's like, is this really what I want? Because I know that like, you know, I believe in the, the ideals of the brotherhood and like what they're trying to do, their goals and stuff like that. But is this like really the place I want to be with, with the way that some of the people around me, like think and behave and stuff like that. Is this the kind of person I want to be, or do I want to like try to either change things internally, Or, you know, he just like ends up leaving the Brotherhood or something like that. I think there's going to be some sort of character arc. Yeah, especially with what Bethesda has sort of done with the Brotherhood in like Fallout 4 and uh, uh, and Fallout 76. And I guess more so starting in Fallout 3 where they kind of like start to like reshape the Brotherhood a little bit compared to how they were in the older games. I think that's more likely because I think they're definitely starting to bring more. Uh, questioning into, like, what the Brotherhood actually are and yeah. what their goals yeah. are and what sort of ends justify the means in, in achieving those goals.
0: Right. One of the things I really love about the idea that Bethesda started changing that up more so than in the first two games mm-hmm. is that I think one of the things that we tend to do as humans, especially here in the United States, is we treat organizations, corporations, uh, government entities, whatever, like their people. Mm-hmm they're not people if you if you own a business the business is only as moral as you are as the owner and leader of your business right if you then sold that business to somebody else the business is only as moral as the new owner of that business the business itself has no morality Mm -hmm. right so the brotherhood as itself has an ideology that it was founded on yes but In and of itself, it has no morality. It is only as moral as the current leader currently is. This is Mm -hmm. the reason why dictatorships don't work. It's because, let's say you start a dictatorship with a really good person, right? As soon as that person goes away, the next person who comes to power, chances are they're not going to be a good person (laughs) because they're drawn to the power.
1: that's what we saw in the change from Fallout 3 to Fallout 4. Right. Fallout 3 right. had Elder Elder uh, Elder Lyons and he was, you know, a lot more of a humanitarian. He was right. all like, "Oh, we got to help these people because yeah. like, you know, this is the area where we are. We have the tools and resources and stuff like and that. And this is
0: what we need to do in this situation because of the what's going on and and, and my experience with uh, leading things in the world right. or whatever, right? And and I think this is a this is a big thing I see when people debate this all the time. They'll say things like, "The brotherhood isn't x." And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, the Brotherhood is only what it is based on who its current leaders are and how those leaders interpret the mandates of their organization and what they're willing to do based on the desperate situation that they're currently in. The Brotherhood isn't anything. The leaders at this specific time are X, Y, or Z, right? But like as a whole, the Brotherhood, the most you can say is the Brotherhood was founded on this ideology, but that ideology has been reinterpreted every single time there's been a new leader.
1: The Brotherhood is a ship, and the Elder is the wa- is the captain. Right. A, the ship, a ship team.
0: cannot steer itself anywhere. A ship yeah. is built to just float on the water. And without... Unless- Somebody unless leading it
1: unless it's got AI, which <laughs> then you bring in the institute, and then this conversation <laughs> right. is <just> dead. <laughs> right, right, right. But 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 the
0: AI is now steering it. Like it is only as moral right. as the AI. Uh, but like, yeah. but th- but that's the idea. Is like you know, a ship, a ship is just a ship. You can't say mm-hmm. that the ship. Likes to go to certain locations. No, the ship doesn't care where it goes. The person steering the ship cares where it goes um, Yeah, but it's it and we do this all the time This is one of those things that like we we tend to you know, like oh, I can't believe uh, I hate AT&T or whoever Because they are like this and it's like mm-hmm. well They they are currently acting like that right now because that's based that's how they've set up their business model That doesn't mm-hmm. mean three years from now They don't go through some sort of big change and all of a sudden they're not doing crappy stuff anymore And if they aren't doing crappy stuff anymore, then maybe you should buy from them then. And then once right. they start doing crappy stuff stop buying from them, you know, like like exactly. it, it's, it's, it's like in our heads Everything's just frozen in the current moment at all times and it just isn't it just isn't that way so yeah, so that's that's my perspective on the brotherhood and uh, Where like this Maximus character might be coming from a better or worse version of the brotherhood? We don't know mm-hmm. it all depends on who the leadership is and as the story plays out. Maybe it gets worse Maybe it gets better but there's going to be some sort of arc there. And at least I think we can at least say that much.
1: Oh no. Yeah. There's like, there's definitely going to be an arc for like all of the main characters. It just kind of depends on like what that arc is, what the story that, uh, that Bethesda wants to tell um, is, uh, is, 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 you know, that that's going to be the direction that, uh, that it goes. Yeah.
0: And I think, I think they'll do things. And of course, and the audiences out there and the fans are all going to have different perspectives and you're going to have mm-hmm. it doesn't matter for some percentage of fans of anything. And I'm not just I'm not talking fallout. I'm talking every every kind of fandom, you know, Avatar, mm-hmm. The Last Airbender or the Muppets. It doesn't really matter. But the way the world is now is that people just love being anti fans. They oh, love yeah. saying, you know what? I love this thing, but everything they do now sucks. And and I think that's just kind of the state of the world that we're in right now. And sometimes people who complain about stuff have good points, but sometimes they just like to sling crap all over the place. And, you know, you're never going to make them happy. It doesn't matter what you did because it's not the thing that you already did before, which would make most people upset if you just did the same thing again. The other side of the fan base is gonna go. Well, you didn't make any changes. Well, this is the same crap We already got well how this isn't even new, right? So yeah. so as a creator in the space Whether it's making games or TV shows you're kind of stuck some percentage of the fan base is just gonna be crappy about it And so you might as well just do the thing that you think you should be doing that creates a good story And hopefully we most of us agree, you know, hopefully most of us who aren't just ready to crap on everything go. Yeah. <laughs> you give it a real shot and you know, and like I've said on some of the other episodes, the acting's good, the directing's good, the writing's good. Um it, you know, it for the most part doesn't break anything too much with the lore. Um mm-hmm. you know, little changes here and there are going to happen, but nothing too extreme and hopefully we get a great TV show. So yeah. that's kind of where I am with it. Do you have any last thoughts on it before we just switch over the interview?
1: I don't I don't think so. I think we pretty we've covered pretty Pretty extensively on the, uh, on the Fallout TV show.
0: Sounds good. All right, cool. Well, we'll take a quick break. I'm going to go thank the patrons and do my whole thing. And then uh, we're going to come back and I'm going to answer some of your questions. So let's go. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah. At
1: Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins
0: and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help
1: with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little
0: efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland,
1: intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.
0: Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, I hope you've been enjoying these interviews, and I'm sure we're going to get some of our expectations and predictions wrong, but that'll be even entertaining later when we go, Oh, I didn't predict that, so it'll be fun. But thank you for being here for these episodes. Thank you also to our patrons who support our show financially. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are interested in joining them, head over to patreon.com slash Check out all the different tiers. You get ad-free episodes. You get episodes early. You get t-shirts and stickers. You can join us for the patron chats, which the next patron chat is actually coming up on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, the 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can jump on the Discord if you are one of our patrons, join our patron chat room and and we can share some different ideas for topics to talk about. So come do that with us. Also, big welcome to, I believe it's pronounced stay. Uh the last name starts with B. Thank you for signing up i might be completely butchering your name uh but just wanted to be careful that if that's a last name not to call it out uh thank you for signing up this last week and uh shout outs also to our Sentry bots who get shout outs every week germinator and sky r thank you for your support and if you'd like to help us show out in other ways you can leave a five-star review on apple Podcasts, like this one that came in from otaku redneck uh and this one's pretty interesting uh otaku here says rethinking my initial thoughts uh live or live it this when I first found this podcast I, I think there's some typos in there but I'm not sure exactly what that means I wasn't all that interested in the approach that robots goes about the lore but coming back to it a few years later I was bored and decided to get back into it and I'm glad I did it re- reignited my passion for fallout decided to get back into fallout 76 because of it give this a listen on caps you won't be disappointed um thank you so much I'm glad that you decided to give it a second shot and you found out that you actually do, do like the show and you took the time to leave a review I really do appreciate that if you'd like to re uh, leave Reeve did I say Reeve if you'd like to leave a, a five star rating on Spotify or whatever podcast you listen to this on that would be helpful as well there's lots of other ways to support the show and as I always say I can't do it without you so thank you for being here all right let's move on with the rest of the show
1: yes, if you have yes, any indeed. questions
0: <laughs> about Nuka World I'd be delighted to answer them
1: all right hey <laughs> we're back we're back look at that look at that so um I hear, I hear I you have some is, questions you know, for me, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just a couple. Um normally the the way that uh that uh my podcast goes about it is we usually start with just like because like I, I have like a bumper bit at the beginning where I just kind of like give a like, give a brief explanation of like who you are, the kind of stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. Um it's usually just pretty straightforward. Like this is Tom, he does podcasts. Uh, the fallout podcast uh, the fallout lore podcast now he's got the starfield one stuff like that um but one of the things that i find it's always good to uh good to have um is just like hearing what y- hearing the guest talk about what you do specifically so more so like in your own words like how would you describe, like, what you do to, you know, the, the layman on the street? You meet somebody yeah, on a bus yeah. and they ask, like, what do you
0: do? Yeah, no, this happens all the time where, where I meet people and we're like, what do, what do you do for a living? And uh, I've I've learned you, you got to keep it short because otherwise, it, you know, public quick little conversations you don't have forever to give them your whole story. Yeah. Uh, so basically at this point, I say I run a podcast network, the Robots Radio Podcast Network, and I host five of my own shows. And that's usually where I start off. And I'm like, you host five. That's what I do. Yeah, I have five. I was cur- only aware of two of them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I currently do the fallout lore cast, the Starfield lore cast, like you mentioned, the Elder Scrolls lore uh-huh. cast. The Mass oh, yeah. Effect lore cast and the Lord of the Rings lore cast and oh wow fall out so It was of the real Rings. awkward
1: when I was shitting on the the Lord of the Amazon Lord of the Rings <laughs> No, it's like it, it's
0: <laughs> like uh, everyone has their own opinions I I don't think it's a perfect season by any means um, But I think that there are some core things that they did well that uh, yeah. hopefully they expand on the next season It continues to improve and all that so um, crossed. Yeah, but uh, yeah the fallout lore cast and the Lord of the Rings lore cast are actually my biggest two podcasts
1: um, I'm not hundred percent surprised on that, especially with Lord of the Rings. Everybody loves Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> yeah. so uh, so when I launched the Fallout Lord cast, this was like right before the pandemic hit, um, mm-hmm. a year before the pandemic hit, I think, and then it uh, evolved from there. Um, but in that sense, uh, one of the things I learned and you and I talked a little bit in the pre-show I've I've had a very varied career doing lots of different jobs. I went through a job transition where a multi-billion dollar companies merged and the people who ended up in charge of my section of the company got rid of a bunch of us and I had a non-compete for like a year. I live in Florida covered like the entire state. Um, it was it was ridiculous. And so I went through this thing about it was like eight or nine years ago Where I was like, okay, well do I I was doing really well in my career I had a really nice job and I all of a sudden couldn't work for a year. And so I was like, mm-hmm. okay What do I do and I've always dabbled in content creation and doing side projects. I've, I've played in bands I currently do my own music on the side too. under uh, the new star gods is is my my band that you can find on nice. Spotify and um, I used to tour in bands and this is like 20 years ago Uh, I've done a lot of things on the side and a lot of those side projects. I've noticed It's it's really hard. It's really hard to find an audience discoverability Mm -hmm. is really difficult and One of the things I figured out is that there are a lot of really good content creators out there making really cool stuff and That's not the problem. The problem isn't that they have a hard time making cool things because usually they come up with some really cool things the hard part mm-hmm. is getting it discovered. It's the marketing side So looking at my own career I was like well, I can wait a year which sucks or I can yeah. just take a job doing something else And so I was like well, what if I go into marketing and I just start from the bottom and work my way up again which I've already done multiple times actually two different times two different career fields and So that's what I did. I started working for uh, some startup companies. I ended up working with a marketing agency I ended up running the SEO department at a marketing agency the search engine optimization Um, Mm -hmm. so in doing that not only did I Further a new career and kind of get back to a place where I was, you know, making good income again But I also learned a lot from working with people who are brilliant At Doing everything from creating thumbnails, you know that go up on your YouTube video to the language that you would use in the things that you put in your information in order to keep people reading or uh, You know social media posts or how advertising actually works or search engine optimization, which is very very focused on discoverability and Mm -hmm. Getting your stuff found and so after doing that for a few years. I was able to take some of those concepts and Apply them to what at the time was my newest podcast. I I did a Dungeons and Dragons podcast for a while that didn't work I'd streamed years before on a very regular basis until I lost my job And then I was like well, I don't I got to be doing other things than just streaming now in the evening. Yeah, (laughs) I need to find a job Um, and then I basically applied that to the fallout lore cast and modeled the concept around uh, the delivery of information in a fun and entertaining way, trying to do high-quality audio as best I could at the time, and also finding a niche like that's a very important thing when you're launching a, a product of any sort is to find an audience and a demand for the thing you're making. And like, go back in time five years on YouTube, you had all of these Fallout lore videos still. From the whole Fallout 4 buzz and then Fallout 76 coming out, you know, guys like Oxhorn and and a number of others were hitting it big, doing all these Fallout lore videos. But none of them were releasing the audio onto audio platforms. Mm -hmm. And so when you searched Fallout podcasts on audio, it was a lot of these chat shows, which were entertaining, but they weren't doing the here, let me explain this lore to you. This is why this is more interesting than you may have noticed when you played the game or, or that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, maybe I could do that. And I and so I started and I did it and it grew and it continued to grow and then I launched the Elder Scrolls Lorecast and did something very similar with that, uh, and it it worked as well. So when I got to about uh, almost two years ago now, when I was thinking about launching the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, it was a very different market because if you look at if you search Lord of the Rings podcast, most of them are lore podcasts because right. what else do you talk about? There's not like, I mean, other than an occasional TV show that shows up, it's not like there's a whole bunch of new Lord of the Rings books being
1: written or anything, you know? Right, like, like speculation <laughs> on what the next book's going to be about. Right. Like, what do you mean, next book? That's not how
0: that works, right? So, what people <laughs> are doing is they're going and they're talking about all the lore and all the other works that are, you know, behind the big, you know, the movies and the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the ones that most people know about, all of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. That was that was a big challenge for me because in some ways I entered into a space with almost no uh, competition, right? Like launching a lore audio podcast when there's nothing else out there. As long as you do a good job of it, there's an audience, and so hopefully they'll find you. So that part made sense, and that was relatively easy because I found the niche. And a lot of shows that do that succeed just find their niche. Um, this it's like there wasn't really a niche. It's like okay. What is there a sub niche inside that niche somewhere? And right. so that's what I figured out was that in listening to a bunch of those other shows Nobody was going methodically through books like the Silmarillion which explain the background of the world and all of that But they're dense they read like the Old Testament like they're And It's archaic language. It's it's really really dense and there's a lot of really cool literature stuff going on there There's a lot of really cool history and mythology and and things being drawn from other sources And so I was like, okay Well, what if I just go through in order almost like a read-through and I'm not actually reading it but like I'll quote sections but if Mm -hmm. you decided to read through certain parts of the book and every week you'd like listen to my interpretation of that you would get a better understanding and after a certain amount of time, you'd make your way all the way through the book with a much deeper understanding and it would be enjoyable to do. And so that's what I did. And it worked. And so that was like a big surprise because I was entering into place with a high, highly competitive without finding a real niche in for something that was absolutely unique. Yeah. Um, and, and it worked out. So that's kind of my roundabout story for. What I'm doing now and how I'm doing it, and I've also got some other podcasts, and you know uh, uh, now have also also running a network, and there's other shows on the network and people sign up for the rocket club and I help teach them a lot of the things that I've figured out about launching your own show and getting it discovered and forming it matting it in certain ways and you know creating good quality and all of that so, yeah Showing so there you go. how to
1: how to like get their start
0: yeah, yeah, and how to like what things actually matter? I think that's another thing that a lot of people. Um, A lot of what I see is a lot of attention being put into places that don't actually matter, which is Mm -hmm. weird to me because most of us are video gamers and everybody understands how to min max in a video game. But when it comes to creating your own content, somehow that concept goes out the door. Do you get what I'm saying? Like,
1: yeah, I think it's I think it's because in um, that's it's interesting that you phrase it that way. I never really thought of it that way. I think it's because in like video games, there's like. A select number of options right yeah in yeah most and case. you
0: know what the options are they show up on the UI you know which ones you can click you know which ones you can maybe uncover by doing some sort of achievement or some sort yeah. of goal in the level in order to, to get the thing or whatever yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's laid out easier but if right. you if you take the time to figure out like if you made a list as a content creator of like these are all the things I do I record an episode I edit it together I promote it on social media and, the, and then you create the little subsections for of These these are the steps I go through when I record the episode. These are the steps I go through for editing These are the things I go through when I post things on social media, whatever And you actually analyze like how much time you're spending on each thing and What you're doing and how much of an impact that actually has on the thing that it's supposed to impact so Mm -hmm. the impact could be discoverability it could be growing uh, New you know increasing the number of listeners or viewers to your content. It could be um, Just improving the quality of the thing that you're doing and getting better at making the thing you're making Like Mm -hmm. there's lots of different goals. Right. And certain things, if you just think about it for a minute, help more than others. So if you're working on creating better quality video, posting things to social media, you would think doesn't really do that unless you're editing other variations of that for video for social media. Mm -hmm. Now it furthers that goal. Right. Um, So like the big question is discoverability. How do you create a thing and then get people to find it? And a lot of people will say, well, you absolutely need social media out there. And so what mm-hmm. they do is they set up, say, an X or Twitter account. I'm just going to call it Twitter. Uh, you set yeah, up a Twitter account. Nobody calls it X. Right. Nobody at all. Nobody <laughs> calls it X. Yeah. So you set up a Twitter account and you start posting things on the Twitter account. And most people treat that as just kind of, "Oh, well, I'm just going to post my thoughts, things I like, things I don't like. Every, you know, Whenever I have a new episode, I'm going to promote it. I'm going to put it on there. They just do the kind of natural thing. hmm But they don't actually come at it with any real goal or strategy and Mm -hmm. What they don't realize is that if you are creating content for a specific audience then everything that you put on that if And let me start this with a big if if you're planning to use your social media account for discoverability Rather than just your personal space to vent and share what you think uh, Those are two very different things Mm -hmm. Um, If you are specifically sculpting a social media platform as a means of discovery then everything you post should be content that your target audience will enjoy, or mm-hmm. at least that you think they'll, they'll enjoy. So, if you have a Fallout page and then you post about the election, you're hitting the wrong audience. Right. It's not that you can't have you can't care about both things. You can do that on your personal account, sure. Do that on your personal account. But if you're creating a Fallout page, then don't post about the election. Right. Like. Yeah. Because that's not what your audience wants. Your audience wants more pictures of badass looking power armor and, (laughs) you know, clips from video game stuff. And the thing that you found in 76 that you've been trying to get for the last two weeks, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's the stuff they want. And so a lot of people don't take the time to really focus in on things and then ask the question of, is this actually moving the needle or not? And I think if they did that, they'd realize that. Like if you count up your hours the amount of time that people actually put on in social media and spend doing social media stuff And the Mm -hmm. amount of time it actually increases the number of viewers to their content is Strikingly low it is highly inefficient (laughs) Unless you're creating very specific content that you're putting on social media and that content is now drawing people to your other content Um, It's it's a complex thing when you think about it, but When it actually comes down to it, it's really just are you putting content out there that people like and so They like it and they want more of it and it shows up at the top of their feed And then now you're top of mind so that every so often when you remind them that you have a podcast out there or a a YouTube channel or whatever They go. Oh, yeah, yeah That's a thing too and then eventually they check it out because they were already a fan of your other content
1: how do you sort of square the um, the kind of people who uh who make like vi- like video essayists? Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, the, there's there's one specifically I think of, but I I always forget his name, and that really bums me out because he makes like really good uh, really good essays. Um, but another one that comes to mind is um uh, a guy named Super Eye Patch Wolf, um who has made a, a lot of different essays about uh he's made uh essays about different manga uh manga sorry i don't know how to pronounce it either right, way right sure th- the weebs are going to get mad at and this me. is a youtube <laughs> channel
0: specific right. uh
1: yes yes um he's made essays about uh different kinds of uh anime manga uh he's talked about um i th- if i remember correctly at least two different tv series um, a handful of video games uh he made this like really shit posty video uh talking about space jam where it spun off into this whole thing like oh i got like the original copy of what space jam was supposed to be where fucking i i forget the the name of the basketball player uh who was in this um uh the original was, space was
0: jam or this the, the
1: the the second one yeah uh i haven't even watched it um it was, i yeah, can picture I, his I, face
0: I, in my head but i, I don't remember
1: yeah, I can't remember. I'm sure everyone's um, going to
0: yell at us again.
1: They're like, "I can't right, believe you guys don't know eat. this.
0: You ate it." <laughs> Names just um, stay in my head.
1: But but like it it spun off into this whole thing where like originally like the original script was supposed to be like this uh this like live interactive experience uh Bugs Bunny would die in the movie and then <laughs> th- was it Kobe Bryant Probably. I mean, that sounds yeah, cool. it, sure. it, it, like Kobe Bryant would get like so mad because he was in like love with Bugs Bunny and he would like <laughs> transcend universes. And then like he would actually they, they would be the the movie itself would be shown in like special theaters and like Kobe Bryant would show up in cuts uh, in and like other movies playing. And then he'd like leap out of a, a hidden uh, a, a, like a trap door in the movie theater and start hurling basketballs and people it was this really weird. Like it started off as kind of like a more serious thing and then spun off into the, like, Oh, okay. He's just like shit posting now. Um, yeah, but yeah. he, he makes these like, he made one about like Garfield, which was really good. Um, the, the like abundance of Garfield, like paraphernalia, just that exists for right. this comic strip that showed up like every weekend in the funnies. Right, right, um, like
0: it got real big in the 80s and 90s and everybody yeah, for yeah, some reason had a phones, Garfield t-shirt. And it was like
1: what do you do? Stuffed doing? animals, yeah. televisions, just like everything's Garfield right. and like you did a whole thing about that. Um but he he makes these he makes these videos and he only uploads uh you know like once every like several months and as far as i can see uh like going back into his content and stuff i've been watching him for a while now but going back he's kind of always had that that sort of like upload schedule where it doesn't seem like anything is super you know like continuous like it's not like Mm -hmm. once a month or once a week right it's It's not just one
0: topic either he kind of jumps yeah yeah yeah.
1: he he kind of diversifies um obviously i mean to to his credit he's also uh, a streamer so maybe that plays into to an account but like there, there are just essayists like that who don't really seem to have much of a uh, a presence besides those uh, Those like big long-form like project related things. Right. How do you how do you square like like, like how does like that, that work? What's, like how do they yeah, like what's the science behind that? Uh, it's
0: uh, so here's the science behind it um, They may have other things on the side like Streams and things that help drive people to their content, but most mm-hmm. likely it's discoverability through YouTube itself Um, Mm. If you think about search engines the biggest search engine everybody knows is Google the second largest search engine in the world is YouTube Mm -hmm. It's not Bing. it's not some other typical search engine. It's YouTube YouTube is also owned by Google So by extension YouTube and Google are the same thing Mm. They're just part of a, a diverse ecosystem of things that right Partly because if you search th- something on Google, you're going to get YouTube results in the videos that show up on the list or whatever, right? So, when you're somebody like that and you create really good quality content, but you only put it up out every two or three months, quality trumps uh, quantity when it comes to YouTube. At least in the last few years, mm-hmm. this is uh, there's trends that happen with the way the algorithm changes and things like that. What right. what YouTube values the most is click-through rate, watch time, and return views. So if you, and this is why clickbait uh, (laughs) thumbnails and titles work so well, is because it gets people into your video. Once you get people into your video, if you are entertaining, informative, or especially both in a really engaging sort of way, then they stick around. They watch most of your video. They see one of your video posts pop up again because They probably recognize this style of the thumbnail. They probably mm-hmm. have a very consistent style when it comes to thumbnails Even when the topics are diverse um, And then YouTube Compounds it on itself if people continue to watch Multiple videos from the same youtuber you go to your homepage. What are they going to recommend when one of those new videos drops right at the top of your list is going to be another one of those videos mm-hmm. So it's it's a quality thing And It's leveraging most likely discoverability through YouTube and and so they're using like there's a science behind What things people are more likely to click on for thumbnails? Um, One of them includes faces It's why the trend over the last few years has been like everybody's got a wacky surprised face Right that works Uh, if you look on mobile mobile games most mobile games have a picture of a face for their thumbnail Mm -hmm. Um, we as human beings are drawn to faces Way faster than other things Uh, text we uh, You actually it's kind of like a negative oftentimes Mm -hmm. our eyes bounce off of text We don't want to do the work to read a thing because it means more thinking we would rather see an image Um, They've even done experiments where like just a a character in the center of the screen that you recognize with an engaging face with no text and a a not a very busy background Mm -hmm. is actually more engaging and drives more clicks especially when paired with a uh, a controversial t- uh, title, something mm-hmm. in the title that makes you go, "Wait a minute, I gotta see what this is," and that works. It's it's the reason why everyone hates click hates clickbait is because clickbait gets you to click, right. and then after that is where you where you build your reputation. So if the clickbait, if if the if if you click on something. And you enjoy the video and it actually matches the thing that the title said then it's not clickbait mm-hmm. It's only bait if it if you feel resentful of having clicked on it, right? So if somebody like that is probably pairing really engaging titles with very easy to identify? Thumbnails and then when you actually watch the videos like you're saying you kind of enjoy them because mm-hmm. they're giving you something in a way that is engaging and informative and you didn't know before and um their their delivery is interesting the way they edit their video together keeps you watching from one moment to the next um, There's a lot of these like little little things that like I was saying like the Like you spend a lot of time posting stuff on social media But if you actually just spent maybe five ten more minutes editing in a little bit better at doing your videos or practicing Recording and reading your voice and listening back on it over and over and over again in order to make yourself sound more engaging um, or watching people who do really good videos who get a lot of engagement and then going why does this work? Oh, listen to the pace at which they're talking. Listen, look at the way that they are Using the video in a way to really emphasize the points they're making look at how they use their thumbnails their titles those kinds of things um, mm-hmm. That's the path the, like the time doing that stuff is going to pay off way more than oh, just post another social media thing because maybe people will see it mm-hmm. Like you do that uh, you know, let's say let's say you spent let's say you don't even spend that much time on social media Let's say you spend two hours every week Doing that imagine how much better you would get at making Video and audio content if you practiced two hours a week
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like that feels so different. It's so easy to just spend two hours on social media in a week but actually like buttoning down and practicing doing things like a skill and getting better and better at that. A year later, like that would be a h- over 100 hours of practice that you have at the thing that you were doing, and I bet your videos and your content would look so different than what they did before. And especially if you're now experimenting by posting them online, seeing which videos get more clicks, trying to understand how certain things work, who your audience is, what they're actually responding to. I mean, this is another thing that I'm I'm constantly surprised by. Like I've I'm almost at 300 episodes of the Fallout Lorecast. You would think I would understand who my audience is, but I'm mm-hmm. still surprised sometimes when I look back and I go, "Oh, more people watched that video this week." Weird. I wouldn't have expected that one. I thought this video would be more popular, but more people wanted to click on this or 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 this uh this audio episode or whatever. Uh like y- you never know. It's, it's it's why science works, right? Like you can't predict right. the results until you test it. Yeah. So I know that that's a bunch of stuff, but I think that that actually <laughs> might be what's work, what's going on there.
1: It it does. It does make a lot of sense when you, um, when you kind of like, you know, sit down and like really like start mapping out um, uh, processes and stuff like that. Um, Cause I get asked like all the time, like, you know, like, you know, should I, uh, you know, I have this idea for, uh, for, for content. I have that idea for content. And I just always tell people like, Hey, you know, just like, get started, figure out yeah. what it is you want to talk about specifically, do it. And then like it, it, from there, it just kind of depends. Like, do you want to be uh, somebody like, uh, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to trying to think of somebody like, like, do you want to be somebody who uploads like every single week, but it's like, you know, a, a more condensed, like essay kind of video. So like, you know, anywhere from like 20 to like 30 minutes in length, do you want to uh, upload like, Every single day, but it's like a more simplistic style where you're like something like you know like the game Grumps for example. Right, right. Um, like daily where, stuff works
0: well for like news and things that yeah. are like right in the moment. You got to get something up immediately. Uh, right. That like, stuff doesn't like what, have a long uh, tail, that's like what Moist Critical does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that's there's two different methods for YouTube content creation in my mind. There's t- and even podcasts. You could do this with podcasts too. There's timely news type focused content. Which can get a lot of clicks real fast, but then there's Mm -hmm. no tail because after a day nobody cares Um, and or There's evergreen content where you are taking something like a like a video essay or something or like you know Like a lore podcast like mine where Mm -hmm. you know four years from now if you go back and listen to the episode about super mutants It's still gonna be valuable information Now, maybe we get some new games coming out and they expand the lore of the Super Mutants So I have to do a follow-up episode that talks about oh the new stuff. We've learned about Super Mutants, you know Mm -hmm. But that still doesn't mean that that first episode isn't valuable that information still applies. So the that this kind of content actually has a very long tail and um, Can grow exponentially as long as there's still interest in the topic
1: That makes sense
0: so there's a, the two different kind of methods of, of going f- like through that. I, I talk with um, new creators, especially that join the Rocket Club, all the time about this, and I find that, and I and I I went through the same thought processes myself. Everybody kind of comes at content creation from the same angle. They get mm-hmm. an idea for something that they think sounds fun, and then they go, "How do I do that? Can I make it?" And then they start thinking about the logistics of making it, but they start with mm-hmm. the thing they want to make. And if you do that without ever thinking about the opposite side of that of is there an audience that wants this thing then it's a crapshoot you're just Mm -hmm. you're just grabbing a lottery ticket and you're hoping there's an audience that's out there for the thing that you want to make and you're lucky if those two things line up what's more likely to happen is that you start with a concept oh this is the thing I want to make because I think it seems fun and then you look at the audience out there and you go Oh, but they want something a little different from this. Mm. And you learn to sculpt your original idea into something that's still enjoyable for you to do, something you might still feel like you're an expert on or whatever, or have something to say, but you're able to then sculpt that and shape that in a way that fits what the audience is actually wanting. Those two things, that's more likely. Um, if you start with what the audience, if you start with the audience side of it altogether and you just go, okay, what, uh, and, and you can start even broad you, like let's say you you're into video games and you want to do a video game youtube or podcast or whatever and so you make a list of like okay these are all the games i really really love mm. what and then you do you don't set yourself on picking any specific game yet you don't spe- set yourself on picking any sort of format whatever and you just look into the world of content creation for all of those things and then you find the hole that is way more likely to work in the long run like let's say you happen to be into fallout and elder scrolls and resident evil and destiny 2 or you know whatever Mm -hmm. and you might even be hoping oh i hope i hope i find something for fallout but you don't find a hole for fallout but all of a sudden you're like oh wait nobody's doing this resident evil kind of content but there's content like that for all these other games but nobody's really doing this or or people are doing it but I feel like I could do that better Right then you pick that thing because now you felt you found a hole in the market You learn to fill that hole in the market Hopefully that's still something you're gonna enjoy doing because it's a game you like you know all of that stuff you start there And if you can do that and you can fill that hole in the market you can start building an audience and then if you can do that with that topic then maybe you can sh- like do a second show that does a similar topic with a different game or something like that. Now you've developed a brand, people know like that's kind of what I've done. People know, oh, Tom does these lore casts mm-hmm. and he's into these RPG type games or fantasy worlds or whatever. So when I jump from Fallout to Elder Scrolls it kind of makes sense. There's there's a lot of crossover between people who like both of those things. If right. you jump from Fallout and Elder Scrolls to Mass Effect, well there's some crossover there too. That makes sense too. You know, uh, what if I go to the Lord of the Rings? Well, yeah, there's some crossover there too. So it allows you to kind of expand out and if I were to look at all of the shows that I'm doing currently those five shows And I've done more shows. I've handed off some of the shows I used to do like the Dungeons and Dragons lore cast uh, Cyberpunk and The Witcher to other hosts who are now doing their shows on their own uh-huh. um, If I were to, if, if we went back ten years and you were to say hey Tom if you were to do a lore podcast about any topic What would it be? I probably would have said Lord of the Rings because that was probably my first love when it comes to fantasy worlds and all of that kind of stuff because I read those books when I was much younger, and I was really into talking stuff when I was a teenager. And
1: and but you said before that the first um the first like lore podcast you did was for Fallout, right? And the right. most recent one you did was for Lord of the Rings. Why right. why why was Fallout like the the first one you did? Right. It's uh, because a podcast. It, for? It's
0: because I love all of these things, but I didn't see. I didn't even consider Lord of the Rings to be a potential because it seemed like the market was so filled at the time Mm -hmm. And I didn't have experience doing shows like that yet at all But because there was a hole in the market for fallout. I was like, oh, I love fallout. I'll do a fallout lore podcast I'll do it on audio. I'll see if I can make it work Mm -hmm. and so I cut my teeth on that that worked I did a number of other shows and then Two years ago, I was like the the idea popped in my head because deep down in my soul. I'm like I really love the Lord of the Rings It's like like I was reading the Lord of the Rings stuff before fallout even existed you know like there's this part of me that like it's just deeper in my being and I remember debating having conversations with my wife. I was like do you think it's possible? Is this gonna be a waste of time am I gonna just put a show out there and nobody's gonna find it and you know like there's so much there's so much competition and it's because I I knew that there was a hole in the market for fallout lore audio content And I knew that that was something that you know, I I was interested in enough. I knew enough about Um, I was willing to do the extra research and I did a lot of research early on learning a lot a lot of things that I didn't know yet Um, Mm -hmm. And and still today for episodes research before I actually do the shows Um, And I knew it was something I would enjoy like something. I definitely wanted to learn more about so that's why I did that first And It's not that I don't love it because I love Lord of the Rings No, I love both things right like if think about the things that you like the fandoms that you are a part of the games Mm -hmm. You like to play you love a selection of them, right? like I Love both But there was one that was ready for content around a certain thing because there was a hole in the market And there was another that seemed extremely daunting with a bunch of content creators who had been doing stuff for years and I wasn't sure I could compete with that yet And then after a few years of gaining the experience from creating these shows from learning how to do this and then coming up with a new angle on the content that could compete with what was out there. I was ready to launch that show Um, Mm -hmm. had I launched that show first it probably would have failed. Because I don't think I would have had the experience or or known what I was doing. Another thing, a lot of people have hesitation towards when, especially when they join the network, is like, well, I don't know, I don't know if I want to launch this show because you know it may not it may not do well or whatever. And they might have a really cool idea. They might have found a hole in the market. They might have all the expertise and knowledge, and they love the the fandom, the the product, all of that stuff. And yet they're still afraid to do it. And it it's like, no, just go ahead and. You have to start somewhere you have to fail forward So even if you did a dozen episodes about this thing and you didn't really ever really build an audience That's a dozen episodes of experience. You have recording editing creating content that you didn't have before So if you figure out why that didn't do well and come up with another project and you try that now All of a sudden you're starting ahead of where you were because of that level of experience that you've gained So it's not a failure. It was a practice And I think that's something that most people it takes them a while to get past and The truth of it is if you put something out there in the world and nobody finds it and then you remove it It's almost like it didn't exist anyway It's not Mm -hmm. like people can go back and go. Well, look at all these failures This person had look at all this crap they made before, you know, like Nobody would become a musician if you would point back at the first time they picked up their instrument and made it sound like a terrible <laughs> noise out right, of it, right? Yeah, <laughs> like that's just not how that works. No, in fact, it's ridiculous to think that the first time you do anything, you're going to do it well. That's not how humans work. We what was the we mess up. Um,
1: what was the what was the Oscar Wilde quote. Um, experience is just the name we give to our mistakes.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you have to like I I did a Dungeons and Dragons podcast and it was an actual play with a cast. I was the DM. I edited it all together. They were their characters. We went on this big adventure. I spent all this time planning it. It was a ton to edit because those kinds of shows are a lot to edit because you have multiple voices and sound effects and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, nobody listened to it. It was like a few dozen downloads per episode. It was it was very, very small. And I enjoyed doing that with my friends. It was fun to get together and do that, but it was a lot of work And after about six months one of the cast members decided that he wanted to move on and do something else So we wrapped up the first season we never came back to it if I hadn't done that ep- that podcast I probably wouldn't have been ready to launch the fallout Lorecast, because I, I learned so much from prepping and editing and planning and, and putting stuff online and dealing with hosting and dealing with social media to promote things and and a lot of other stuff that if I hadn't had that knowledge, the Fallout Lorecast wouldn't have been successful. So do I regret doing it? No, because that was six months of intensive training that prepared me to do this the first podcast that actually was a success.
1: Mm-hmm. When we bring it back to... um let me bring it back to like, you know, the the like the actual games themselves. Um specifically like because you know, this is a Fallout themed podcast. And we've already talked a lot about um uh Fallout, uh the you know, the Amazon series that's going to be coming out. That's what we talked about for pretty yeah. much like the first whole half of this, right, of right, this right. interview so far, practically. Um when it comes to like I guess more so like the fallout community you know uh, uh, fallout 4 modding fallout new vegas fallout 76 stuff like that how do you see things like going forward because we didn't we didn't really because we didn't really talk about that a lot when we were talking about the tv series um good or bad like going forward and like specifically like the future of fallout 76 we're going to like i think I don't know. It's they 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 mentioned we're going to like Shenandoah Valley, and yeah. it doesn't seem like it's going to be an expedition. It seems right. like it's either going to be an expansion of the map that's already there, or like a way that we can just go to like a different map that's like a whole new gameplay area. Right, right. Um, yeah. and especially with like Fallout Five so far on the horizon. Um how do you like what do you think that like in between area is going to look like we got fallout london coming out we got the future of fallout 76 well we got the amazon series what's like between now and uh fallout 5 gonna start looking like
0: all right so yeah i'll I'll give you my predictions on this uh we're gonna get the fallout tv show hopefully it does well i can't Mm -hmm. predict i can't predict how that's gonna go but i you know hopefully it goes well um we have 76 as an existing product that seems self-sustaining they're going to keep it going it seems like it has enough players enough income uh, a lot of people are still trying it out on game pass like that kind of stuff right so that seems like it's set uh, we also have the addition and expansion of mods and paid mods to things like skyrim we know they're going to bring that to starfield we also know they're probably going to bring that to fallout 4 with the big update that they've been teasing and haven't haven't released yet so right. so from Bethesda's standpoint and and I've worked for tech companies and I've I've done some of this before Um, Their perspective is how do we what things are financially viable and successful? And how do we keep them going? And then how do we also add more to this fallout realm while still juggling the rest of our other projects, right? We know that they've moved from Starfield into Starfield DLC slash The next Elder Scrolls game. That's what they're working on now. Fallout 5 is still way off on the horizon somewhere. I doubt we will see that in the next seven years, at least. Um, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I would love a Fallout 5, but I don't think that we're going to get that. So, in the meantime, they're focusing on 76 and mod implementation. They want to turn Fallout 4 into a mod platform that allows things like Fallout London and other things to be created even more easily. And sold so that people who make that stuff can actually get some money for their efforts and, you know, pay their teams and those kinds of things, which Mm -hmm. is fine as long as it's not gouging and terrible in other ways. Like I have nothing wrong if you are a programmer, a designer, somebody who's working on this stuff and you're putting hours and hours and hours in and you release a really awesome product, then sure, you should get paid. Yes, please, please do, you know, like make more like I'm happy to pay some money for better content and have more things to do if that's, you know. Something I'm interested in because it looks cool Um, So I think you're gonna have that I think you're going to have fallout 76 continue uh, As it's been going and one of the big asks has been Expeditions are fine, but why not just expand the map? Why not give us more quests more map more stuff more creatures? Just like let's why do these expeditions have to work like expeditions when you could Mm -hmm. just Make more quests and more map to visit, right? Um, So I think that it takes it takes a ship like that a long time to turn I think this is something they've been now aiming towards for the last few years and we're finally getting Through the previous content that was already scheduled and designed and worked on to get towards the stuff that is now moving in that direction Um, If they can keep doing that with 76 because it's a multiplayer It's a it's functionally very different from fallout 4 because it's a multiplayer thing and it's harder for people to mod that You're going to have Fallout mod platform, Fallout 4, and then Fallout multiplayer, which is 76, and it's going to continue to grow with updates and things like that, as long as the community is still there. The other aspect to all of this is now that Microsoft owns Bethesda, do they source out a new Vegas 2 from Obsidian or somebody else um, before Fallout 5 comes out? My guess is if Bethesda has a say, no, that won't happen. Because they've already shot down in the past concepts for New Vegas 2 being done by Obsidian and other kinds of side projects. They want to kind of hold that stuff tight to them. So Microsoft might say, well, you don't get your say anymore. We're just going to do this because they can. So that might mean that we get that. And maybe that's good. Hopefully it's well made and we enjoy it. Um. Or they go, okay, we go we understand your reasoning. Maybe they make a really good pitch and they go we understand your reasoning We're hold off. So let's let's focus on fallout 4 mod platform fallout 76 multiplayer And then the TV shows maybe mobile games or whatever and we just have to wait a while to file fallout 5 happens Um, I think those are the potential
1: futures Yeah, because it's I mean, I mean it does kind of It does kind of feel like things are starting to trend that way Um, because they I'm I can't remember like off the top of my head at this moment. But I think before uh, Fallout 76 came out, they said that modding uh, modding for the game was going to be, you know, something that they're like looking into, you know, maybe like, you know, year two, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think they
0: probably scrapped that. And yeah, they and decided, we're going on
1: like year five now. Yeah, because <laughs> the
0: game still isn't 100 percent stable on every platform all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It still has its bugs. I mean, it's a lot better than it was. But I mean, it's, right, very, yeah. it's very playable, but I still see people complaining about how it crashes on PlayStation or whatever. Um, like, there are still things that require more focus have have a higher cost benefit analysis. To getting people to play then implementing mods that now somehow have to work on multiplayer and when right. that stuff happens now Anyone else who plays with you also has to download the mod like that's it's it's a very difficult nut to crack and to do Well, so it makes sense to keep the mod platform to the most recent single-player version of the game mm-hmm. And that could mean that you build new maps that could mean that you build new locations You know project London those kinds of things it's easier, you know, and and people are still gonna want to play that stuff so That makes sense and and fallout 4 feels modern enough. It's not like going back to fallout 3 tech, which really starts to feel old Yeah, Um, yeah, (laughs) it still feels modern enough that you could actually do that and Heck even add mods to add, you know modern graphics updates and things like that to the engine and and that kind of thing Uh, Plus Mm -hmm. if they continue to update Four with some of the things they've learned from implementing in 76 and starfield then we might end up with a even more dynamic platform for people to be creating fallout content on.
1: Um, I was actually going to ask that. Do you think that a big part of why um why Bethesda is sort of saying like no, we don't really want to work on uh you know like a, a a a spin-off game like one of those like in-between things or like outsource uh you know a Fallout New Vegas 2. Do you think that part of the reason they're doing that specifically and focusing so much on like like you said, turning Fallout Four into a modding platform. Do you think that that's more so that so that the games that can come out that are like the spinoff titles can be, you know, Fallout London, Cascadia, uh, stuff like that, to where it's like those are the spinoff games and they're made by the modding community.
0: Maybe. Um, I think it probably goes something like this: What is the shortest way to us and money because they are a corporation. Mm -hmm. Because that's how corporations work That is and this is another one that we talked about How like people misconstrue organizations Corporations things like this the sole purpose Of a corporation is to make profits For their shareholders Mm -hmm. That's it Um, Aside from that if they do have some higher Purpose then that's because the leadership Has a higher purpose at the time Um, As a corporation Then they will definitely have A profit motive If the profit motive if, if the calculations Show that the amount of time and money invested into releasing a new spin-off game or a Fallout 5 or whatever doesn't give the same amount of profit per cost and time as updating an older game in order to charge you for mods, then it makes sense to do that first mm-hmm. because it's a faster way to money every Everybody in their mom has Fallout Four, probably a few copies somewhere. You know, like
1: <laughs> definitely with Skyrim. Yeah, definitely with Skyrim, copies. and
0: and, and <laughs> so and and they've proven that, right? Like everybody continues to buy Skyrim, and then they update it for mods, and hopefully, you know, that works out in ways that everybody, we are happy to pay for it because it's good content, and the modders are making money off it, but they also get their cut because it's a platform. It's like mm-hmm. you don't launch a game on Steam and don't expect Steam to take their cut. Like they're going to take their cut, but hopefully you sell enough that it's also beneficial to you as well. Um, so they're looking at it from that perspective. So if that's the perspective, then it's easier to update a game like Fallout 4 in order to have payable mods and also support the modding team because that creates a com- that helps reinforce the community element. I'm sure they're aware that the reason why these games sell so well, or one of them, is because there's a, a wonderful community element around them. People who get together and love these games and talk about them online and um, build mods for them and all of that stuff So if you help support other people to make content put it on your platform, and then you make a percent of that content That's a much faster and easier way to make profit than it is to spend five years on the next fallout with the hopes that it sells and Maybe it doesn't
1: Do so, you think that because uh, it's interesting because like uh, more of like as a retrospective um, that's something that roblox has kind of been like like that's kind of been like their jam for either as as long as they've been around or like the past couple of years and we're starting to see it more so recently um with like more and more not really like games like full out and out games coming out of like roblox specifically but like a lot more well-developed uh tightly knit stories or like gaming experiences. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the name of the game mode was, but I had a, uh, a an old co-worker who would actually play a um a first-person shooter game on Roblox and he said that it was probably better than like any other like, First person shooter at the time, like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, stuff right, like that. Right. And it was so much better than any of the other things he experienced. And, you know, it's more or less, I think I think more or less it was free because he just played it on Roblox. Right. Um, and I think with Starfield specifically, because Starfield feels a lot more like it was more so made with modding involved or in in mind, like as as a forefront thing. And they're like, all right, we're gonna. We're going to we're going to make a an open game world. You know, there's going to be a, a thousand planets, stuff like that. Plenty of space for people to create. Uh, we're going to make the engine and like the world as stable and maybe not. Maybe not like bland or um, but, but not funny.
0: overly, overly. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Bland, yeah, bland we're, enough, we're more, vanilla yeah, more enough fun. to add other stuff on top of it
1: exactly they're more with starfield they're more focused on like creating a base world uh for other stories to exist in that you know modders can then come in and create stories within that universe yeah um That sort of like that sort of like concept of making games that then in and of themselves sort of act as either modding platforms or game creation platforms like roblox modding platforms like fallout 4 Starfield, stuff like that yeah do you think that is something that's like a net positive or a net negative for the gaming industry and how do you think that like in general fans are going to respond to that if it becomes like more of like a mainstream thing right
0: right I, well yeah that's it's as with all of these things you have to Consider things from an angle from from A, pr- a perspective uh, Me as a gamer like personally I want more Like if they I would uh, if they Say hey we're launching Fallout 5 next year somehow We've been able to put it together and we're Launching it and I get more Official Fallout Stories with Fallout characters and callbacks To the other games and expansions on the lore And that kind of stuff mm-hmm. a- Absolutely 100% that's What I would pr- rather have Absolutely. Um, Do I want a a modding platform where I can buy mods and do other stuff? Mm, I could take it or leave it. The fact Mm -hmm. that the games are moddable as it is, is enough for me. Does that mean we're going to get higher quality mods? And if I spend money on them, then I get better stuff and I get to play some of those things. Maybe, maybe I'll dabble in that and take some looks at it. But uh, from a lore standpoint, none of that stuff is canon, Mm -hmm. right? Like Fallout London looks amazing. They look like they're doing a, a great work on it but it also is, isn't is canon. So it's a fun side story, but it doesn't further my knowledge of the actual Fallout universe. Um, it's a fun, you know, like, well, this might be what it would have been like over there. That's great. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting in that way. It's not like it doesn't have any value, uh, but it's not the same kind of value, right? That's, that's different. Um, from the perspective of the fan base at large, I think there are going to be some people who love that stuff and some people who don't. Uh, just like adding just like focusing more on building in Fallout 76 like there is an audience that played fallout 3 and new Vegas and 4 and 76 and the fact that you got more building in 4 and then even more building in 76 They love it and they make amazing really cool things I'm not I'm fine with just building my little camp and just tweaking it now and then and it just being one of a few Little things that I can do in the game, but some people really love that and that's their primary thing and if you were to take that away from the next Fallout release, they would feel like it was missing because that's most of what they go to Fallout for, or it's a large percentage of what they go to Fallout for at this point. Um, everyone comes at these things from different angles. Like some people have spent so much time now modding Skyrim and Fallout that they just love checking the you know the Nexus mods every week to see what's new out there and how to change up what's going on, and then they do videos about it and all that stuff because they love it, love it, love it. Again, for me, it's one of those things I dabble in when I just feel like it, but it's not something I is, that's like a primary focus for me. So putting more emphasis on that for me doesn't do a whole lot beyond just kind of a fun thing to dabble in on occasion. Um, does that answer your question? Like, like, I, th- I, mean, like I think like, it comes like, from different the- perspectives.
1: The- it it definitely does because one of the things that i was going to challenge on that that line of thinking cuz we talked earlier uh when we were talking about um the amazon show more so like the perspective right mm-hmm. uh in the perspective of the show um you know i i i said you know i i don't really hope that like the ncr or the enclave or like any other like big faction is present to you know be like you know like oh these are the major players i want the story to be more of like a focused, finite like character story or like a local, you know, community kind of story. Right, a a right. beef between small, smaller actors, not these big superpowers. Um and so I I I I kind of uh I can't I kind of challenge more so maybe like the the like requirement for canonicity in exchange for something more as like lore friendly so for example um uh sim settlements 2 for example mm-hmm. is any of that canon no right. most likely not right
0: is it lore friendly sure yeah
1: yeah, yeah. it's it's very lore friendly yeah. and more so specifically right. it's and- a story that feels like it could be canonized right but right the experience in and of itself is uh so incredibly well done that it lends itself to feeling like oh this could be uh, a story that exists within the canon universe. Yeah, I think
0: there's a solution to this, and and first of all I just want to say, just because something isn't quote, canon, doesn't mean mm-hmm. it has no value. Like Right, th- and like, that's what I'm saying. absolutely are right. mods that I love that are not canon, and I'm just like, oh, this is great, this is so much fun, I really enjoy yeah. playing this. Like, And Fallout London may be that kind of thing, Fallout Miami might be that kind of thing, where I'm just like, oh, I'm going to eat this up, this is so much fun but in my mind, I know that this hasn't been sanctioned by the storytellers or by the, you know, by Bethesda specifically as canon. And there's right. that little piece but, in but the back of comes, my brain
1: that knows that. Right. Yeah. But when it comes to like the larger concept of like playing the games and like enjoying like what the experience is and how it relates to the rest of the gaming universe, because like, you know, there there have been spin off games forever and like maybe not nine times out of ten, but a lot of times like they aren't canon. Course, you right, know, at right. least 40% of them are cart racers. So, you know, <laughs> right, take right. it with a grain of salt. Sure, but sure. Specifically, yeah. like if we can, like, say, you know, Fallout London, for example, if we, if we go through Fallout London, it's a fantastic experience, everybody loves it. Um, but it's not canon. Is anything really lost or gained in that sense? Like if the experience you get out of playing Fallout London is like, wow, the modding community is really good and they were able to make this like really great story. But it's it like is it is there any like real loss or gain in the fact that it was made by the modding community and thus is not canon, or is it just the fact that it's just a good story that fits in the universe? Like right, right. how how I, I dependent think is canonicity? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I I think I, I mean you're hitting on something absolutely. Like if if it is high quality and it is good and it is enjoyable and it feels like Fallout. Then there's nothing wrong with that. There's mm-hmm. like it doesn't need to be canon to be enjoyed, you know. Like, and heck, maybe maybe we get through it, and I'm like, you know, that's the best Fallout thing I've played in years. That was mm-hmm. amazing, and I've got this you know high level of respect for the team and their writers and all of that. I'm like, this was amazing. This felt like a like a legitimate game, even though I know it wasn't a le- like actual sanctioned game. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think in the long term, like it doesn't really matter. But there's a in. <sighs> I think it's more about... For me, it's more about what's the quality of the thing that's being made. And a lot of mm-hmm. times, even the best mods have a certain level of unpolishedness to them. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. Like, it doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. Uh, but it's that little nagging reminder of like, well, this wasn't really officially made. But you could yeah. argue that parts of the game feel unpolished and unfinished too. And yeah, those are legitimate like parts those. of the game. Right? Um, I But I think in the long run, when when you think back about like... And maybe this is just from having done a lore podcast for so long, but looking at the conversations that are debated online and all of these things, canonicity comes up so much Mm -hmm. and people want to say, well, this happened at this location and this is who was there and this is what they did. You know, all of that kind of thing. And because that does come up so much, things that don't fall under canon tend to get left behind and forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the danger. The danger isn't, am I going to enjoy this mod project? Because if it's done well, I probably will. I'll probably play it. I'll probably like it. You know, like I'll probably be happy. I played it. I might've had an amazing experience. I might've had some, yeah, maybe the storyline was so good and I cried or something, you know, like, well, Oh my God, that was so good. Like that is all hundred percent possible. 10 years from now, when everyone's going fall at fives out and let's update the lore and let's talk, let's debate new lore topics. Those side projects aren't going to come up. Because they don't fall under canon. And right. there's but it's kind of a shame in a way. like maybe the maybe the way to solve that is to have a project, any project like that, that's a story project, be submitted to Bethesda and then be canonized. Maybe they read through the script or maybe they play through the game or whatever, and they go, you know, actual lore masters or you know, the writers or whoever's on their team who has authority can go, This doesn't contradict in any way the other stuff we were going to add this to our archives so now these are characters that can get referenced in official releases in the future and You've got the stamp of canonicity and If that even though they didn't make the game if they were to approve it and deem it, so Ten years from now when people are talking about Canon, they're going to reference that project and I think that's That's probably the bigger thing here. In my mind is that the stuff on the side eventually will just disappear But everyone still talks about Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 25 right. years later in 26 27 years later, you know um, And I think that that there's there's like there's a reason why people debate canon It has inherent meaning by definition that you don't have if you're not that um, So maybe there's a solution to that Maybe it's a vetting process now that they submit these things to the official mod system or whatever and mm-hmm. you know, heck, you could even have authors write novels and submit I, them to Bethesda and say, "Hey, I've expanded the story of Fallout Four or whatever. Here's I my novel." I was actually
1: going to say that one of the one because I was like, well, first of all, I really like that idea, like the the whole like submission and and canon kind of canonization. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily because that makes me think of uh, Todd Howard draped in a you know long purple or red orb and he's in like some some religious ceremony where he like waves the council (laughs) yeah the council will judge he pours the nuka
0: cola over the thing and then yeah like yeah into Um, the
1: chalice yeah yeah
0: but but Um, i I think that that does two things it it really really legitimizes the fan base and the the people working on mods it gives people a goal to to shoot for and maybe you can even achieve that by submitting the scripts before even finalizing the game so you know if it's going to be eligible for canonicity or not mm-hmm. um but then it also expands out i mean if they want these things to be a platform why not have i mean people are writing fan fiction all the time why not have fan fiction writers put together novels and maybe you've got like fallout 4 the institute aftermath or something like that right and then well, they kind of that's kind
1: of what i was yeah. like that's kind of what i was running towards because like you could because like if if we if we go off the concept that games like uh Fallout 4, Starfield, stuff like that are supposed they're like they're trying to turn those into more like modding platforms where people can, you know, make those larger spin-off stories like uh you know, Fallout uh I was gonna say Nuevo Mexico, but that's 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 New Vegas. Um but you know, the the like the the big mods that are being made for Fallout 4, London, sure. yeah. uh Cascadia, stuff like that. Yeah, those can kind of be like the um what is it like the spin-off games or like the in-between games between like big like Mainstay game releases because games take so long to make these days yeah yeah but they also along the along the lines that you were bringing up with like fanfic writers and stuff like that what if Bethesda specifically started also along the, at the same time as you know making these these you know main tent pole games like Fallout four Fallout five stuff like that. They also worked on outside projects like the TV series or like, you know, maybe a novel series like you mentioned. And what if those, uh, perspective or those mediums from Bethesda's point of view is how they sort of evolve and, uh, maybe not redefine, but like solidify, uh, bits and pieces of the actual canon of their games. And then when like a big game comes out, it's like, this is the the stuff we've done with like the canon and the lore and stuff like that. And now here's the product that we put out the next big tent pole. Right. And all the right. stuff between those games that the modders can create. Those are more so like a, the kind of like, uh, Oh, like this could be a story that's out there in the wasteland. Yeah. And B the stuff that, you know, sort of tides people over between these like major tent pole games, fallout three, fallout four, fallout five, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally a thing. Um, I think from a business perspective as well, if if you launch Fallout London and you put it out for free, who knows? Millions of people could download it, right? Like lots of people own Fallout 4. Um, If you put out Fallout London and you put it up on a Fallout version of Fallout 4 that charges you, let's say it charges you 15 bucks to Mm -hmm. play Fallout London. They'll make some money off that because a significant portion of the population is ready for something and they're willing to spend 15 bucks on on a mod project. That's going to they're going to have, you know, dozens of hours to play through. So that sounds good. Right. But if you were to canonize Fallout London and then put it up on the store, how many more people would then buy it? Mm -hmm. A lot. Or if you were to canonize a novel, like maybe maybe you allow different writers to submit their stories and they go through a vetting process and certain ones are picked and then canonized and released and Bethesda keeps a cut of the novel sales, but the author gets most of it and now you have a canonized novel. I mean, lots of people read fan fiction, but if you have an official canon novel that goes out, that number will like, it'll be ten, hundred times more people who would pick that up. And then Bethesda makes money off of that. The Content creators and modders make money off of that and the fans get more official canon that helps like you're saying tide them over to the next big release.
1: And, and because and it's, it's also a book series you get Matt Pat and the game theories team talking about it and that yeah. drives content <laughs>
0: right or 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 it shows up in my show like it's one thing for me to do an episode on Fall London and be like hey this is a cool game you guys should go check it out it's a really fun mod they did a good job here's some of my favorite stories it's another thing for it to be canonized and then i go well, this is interesting. Bethesda has said that these weird super mutants you come across are now actually canon, and there's a reason why they're different.
1: Let's yeah. go into it. That
0: all of a sudden yeah. becomes a ton of new content that you could put even just on my show. And
1: reason the speculation and the theory and yeah. then that turns out just more content. It just keeps the wheel a spinning. Right,
0: right. So I, I think, um, you know, uh, uh, looking at canonization, because that's kind of what this Conversation has revolved around as being Mm. this like well There's only a few things that can really be that and everything else is gonna be on the side But it's okay to still enjoy those as well That's kind of the feeling of that and turn that up flip it on its head and go well Canon content can be good content created by other people as long as it's vetted and approved No, yeah that becomes like that's such an open thing and I think the next thought then would be from Bethesda's side. Well, you have to have pay somebody to do this but if the potential of new income coming from people buying mods and buying books, that's going to well pay for that person's job <laughs> to to just be to spend time vetting this stuff and making sure that it it's approved for canon canonicity. Right. Um, yeah. As long as Todd Howard is willing to allow somebody the ability to approve that, which
1: to allow them. <laughs> right. Because I
0: mean, he's very and I'm not trying to be you know snippet. He's very careful about. What things he puts out and what things he deems, you know approved and and all mm-hmm. of that like there's a reason why Starfield took so long to make um, Because they were being very careful with the game that they put out um, And and I think like to go further into this the reason why everything takes so long and the reason why they're trying these other methods of Monetization and and expanding into movies. It's partly because game development just keeps taking longer and longer and longer Mm -hmm. And it's a bigger and bigger risk and when you are a business owner you want to minimize risk so Spending seven years working on their most recent title is a huge risk because it takes a lot of time and money if Starfield didn't sell That would have been potentially Studio ending yeah, I mean that's the every time they release a new game. They're rolling the dice And chances are people are going to buy it. But if they buy a game and then everyone goes, oh, this is hot garbage. And I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about like... Some people on the internet or the people who are like, well, I don't really like Starfield yet, but I'm waiting for the expansion Hopefully there's more story and I'll you yeah. Like You're talking
1: about like the average I'm, person I'm
0: talking about like it gets a 10 on Metacritic You know like 10 yeah. out of 100 on you know, or 1 out of 1 out of 10 on Metacritic. like it absolutely just Flounders, you know, it, it's like yeah. some of these other games that have come out recently where they're like, well We sold, you know, there's 10,000 concurrent players right now <laughs> and It's like they were hoping for a million, you know, like yeah. that is that is Catastrophic and yeah, there's a very real Chance that that could happen not necessarily because they made something bad, but even just the fact that like popular sentiment turns around or You know people talk about how this game just isn't good anymore Nobody likes it and content creators all flock to the negative videos, you know because they get clicks and then all of a sudden seven years of work completely tanks a franchise
1: um do you think that's what's happening with Starfield because it seems like every article for like the past couple of months that I opened like Oh, like Baldur's Gate 3. Here's how it's doing compared to Starfield Power yeah. World. Here's how yeah. it's doing compared to Starfield Right. Helldiver 2. Here's how it's doing compared to well, Starfield. It's a very like,
0: easy meter stick because we mm-hmm. know how many how many they've sold We know they're kind of a big tentpole on the horizon. It's a big studio That's released games like Skyrim and Fallout 4 which have sold millions and millions of copies um, It's it's a very easy metering stick. It's also now owned by Microsoft. So there's of course expectations on that so you've got all of that. My my sense of Fallout or my sense of Starfield is that it's the first time we get a first version of a new series from Bethesda. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why it feels shallow compared to something like Fallout or Elder Scrolls is because by the time Bethesda launched Elder Scrolls Three, they were standing on two full games of content, plus Van Buren, the Fallout Bible, like other content that was out there about the world that expanded and 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 made it feel like we were already entering in a deep and interesting world. Even if you yeah. never played Fallout One or Two, they were pulling from so much already. Uh, by yeah. the time most people jump into Elder Scrolls, most people didn't start with Arena. <laughs> 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 they started with Morrowind or Oblivion or Skyrim. And those games already have massive amounts of lore behind them that made it feel like a really interesting and dynamic world with Starfield. You're starting at zero Mm -hmm. and you have to explain in that one game some of the things that have happened and still keep them interested in characters and the storyline and the plots and the planets they're going to and all of these things while also trying to build this into a platform that they can expand on and build more content around and have people mod and do all of these things. So it's a really really big task because to compare it to something like Baldur's Gate isn't fair. Baldur's Gate wasn't doing those other things. They were just writing interesting stories with all sorts of different ways things can play out with the characters. Starfield didn't try to do that. Starfield Mm -hmm. tried to give you these stories with these characters, this main engaging story, these locations, and this amount of history. In order to then move on to the next stage which is more dlc mm-hmm. and then maybe a sequel and some other things and a platform that other people can mod on top of and all of that it's it's an apple and egg or apple and orange yeah, <laughs> or egg,
1: it's, it's it's kind the egg of thing and then it hatches into an apple <laughs> it's they're, they're they're two very different it's, things it's, i think somebody missed explained biology to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah they're, they're very different things now does that mean that i i, I don't wish that some of the things that you can do in Starfield have like more like there's more characters you can kill outright yeah. Than the ones that are protected. Absolutely. I want to kill all of the terrible people on the you know Freestar collective board uh, But yeah. they just take a knee and then the guards attack you like yeah. yes I want that do I want multiple ways that things could play out differently based on conversation and dialogue like in Baldur's Gate um, Yeah, absolutely do I want um Certain kinds of things to be a little bit more visually interesting like they are in cyberpunk 2077 sure Yes, Mm -hmm. I would love all of that Uh, But I don't know that we're ever gonna get all of that all in one thing while still trying to do the other things that they're trying to do With it. It's kind of too much Um, right, but For some people like if you read the uh, What is it like the the non salty subreddit for Starfield? There are lots of people who? Absolutely love the games. This is the Mm -hmm. best experience of my life. This game hits me just exactly the right way This is the space exploration game. I've always wanted like those kinds of comments Are all over the place. So there is a large population that really really does love it love it So that means that it's not terrible. It's not flat-out bad It just doesn't do certain things that some of the other games that they're known for do as much and it also shows us a Progress Um, if you follow if you chart the progress from like the early Elder Scrolls games Through fallout when they get fallout and then you know those games and then Skyrim and then fallout 4 and then um, Starfield There's less player agency as you move on and the games become focused more and more and more Just on the the limited set of things that you can choose to do Mm -hmm. and the Purists out there are gonna go Well, I long for the days of Morrowind where you could just kill Vivek and ruin the game It can never actually have a canon ending, you know like that kind of stuff Um, I think the solution for that and I hope they work this into future Fallout games is a toggle in the options menu, that says uh, "Allow me to kill essential NPCs."
1: Yeah, make it make it like I, I was playing um, uh, Pacific Rim or not Pacific Rim, uh, Pacific Drive, uh, which came out the other day, and in in accessibility, was, this was actually something that somebody in in my stream at the time told me um which I probably would have never known and probably would have gotten <laughs> demonetized uh because I don't pay too much attention I don't pay enough attention as I probably ought to uh with like sound based settings and stuff like that um but there was an actual like streamer mode in the um mm-hmm. in the settings where yeah. it won't play um you know music that's going to get you demonetized right right yeah um, this is a
0: thing that's pretty common is they'll have these like streamer modes for yeah. for most recent games or a lot of them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So something like that, that like allows you to kill essential NPCs and then pops a notice on your screen that says like you've killed an essential NPC. This (laughs) might totally screw up your quest lines, your games like that. You may not be able to complete certain things and we can't predict what will happen. Are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes or no. If you hit no, it reloads you to right before you killed them and then you move on, you know, like, yeah. That, it and, gives and, you
1: that accessibility option,
0: right? give the give the players at least the choice um, mm-hmm. That's that's what I want and then and and I also think it would be really interesting if they updated Quest and dialogue stuff um, Continually and like into the future like maybe you're it, it doesn't matter what the game is fallout 4 and you're you are you're with one of your companions or Starfield and you're one with one of your companions, and you make decisions that then affect the way they like you, but in ways that feel more and more real over time. Like they update those things. Or they expand other quest lines. Like why you could have a DLC that's like, oh, here's some new planets and some new main storyline to go do over here, right? Mm-hmm. But why not also add in like a second uh character-focused storyline for your companions? Now, like not just a new companion, but like Let's say Sarah is your favorite companion Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: you've already romanced her. What if there's a second loyalty set of missions out there that go further with your relationship and other dynamics in the history of that character and people that they know and those kinds of things like people would pay for that. And maybe it's maybe it's part of a big DLC. Maybe it's a ten dollar little expansion where you get more stuff from Sarah and eventually it's lumped into some, you know, Awesome super awesome bundle a few years later with all the DLC or something, you know like
1: yeah, the you game could, of the year version,
0: right? you could you could uh, You could add through extension all the updates into a game like Starfield or fallout 4 that you would want that the community's been asking for that weren't there initially Still charge for them some of them hopefully give out some of them for free Yeah, and then and
1: updates and stuff like in updates and
0: stuff. Yeah, uh, but like the big ones you charge for the big ones and maybe some of those make or whatever but you can mm-hmm. do all of that and then at let's say five years from now we're looking at Starfield and it's a completely different game just like 76 it's a completely different game <laughs> there's, it's like it's there are pieces in there that are from the original design of the game but like there's so much that just wasn't and now when you read a review that came out like the month the game released and then you actually play the game you go oh well this game doesn't even do that anymore yeah. like like you could that's the thing you could update all of that stuff
1: do you think that starfield is gonna like especially with the concept of like bethesda's concept or the the potential concept because we're we're really just theorizing here obviously there's a lot of strong evidence for this that and the other thing but i mean we don't know yeah todd howard could come up uh on on the next game conference and like yeah, so we 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 did it. We made the thing that everybody wanted: Fallout cart racing, and then just <laughs> fuck off into the sunset, never come back again. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but in in the current concept that we have going here, the the little theory that's rattling around between our brain cells, um, with the idea that Bethesda is more so making games that are more like modding platforms in the the overall like the general concept. Do you think Starfield is kind of like a one and done, except, you know, obviously making it more uh, mod accessible uh, and then Mm -hmm. obviously releasing like, you know, updates, DLCs, patches and stuff like that. Do you think that Starfield is going to kind of become something a little bit more akin to No Man's Sky in the sense that it's like, because like the story of Starfield feels pretty succinct. Obviously, there's a lot of like, background lore and stuff that they can expand on with you know dlcs updates expansions patches this that and the other thing do you think that starfield is going to exist in that sort of thing a one-off game that just has a lot of stuff added to it constantly like no man's sky or do you think it's actually going to get a sequel like uh, skyrim fallout literally any other game
0: yeah I, i bet this is something that they're debating right now because of the length of time it takes the main studio to release each game cuz mm-hmm. if we're looking at a starfield official sequel, like we are probably not getting elder scrolls the next elder scrolls for at least 4 years would be my guess. By the time they're finally putting everything together, written, created all of it, right? We're at yeah. least 4 out, 4 years out. So that's 2028. Mm-hmm. If at its fastest they put out Fallout 5 after that within the next 4 or 5 years, you're now 2030ish. T- 2033. If it takes oh, okay, another gotcha, gotcha. five years from that to get to Starfield 2, you're at 2038. Mm-hmm. That's a long time away. Yeah. that's It's hard to plan anything out that far for video games. Because what do even games look like in that many years from now, right? In 16? Yeah. You know, how many of those? 12 years from now? Like 12, 14 years from now? Um, something like that. Something yeah. like that. Like, it, like the, that is, is so hard to predict. So I have a feeling they're... That Decision is on the back burner. What I hope they come to realize is that they can do Kind of a more of a a no man's sky focused kind of thing with this Mm -hmm. and continue To just release more content I think that that totally makes sense Like the first DLC doesn't have to be the first of like the traditional X number of DLC that we put out per release you know that like What if the first DLC adds in some new planets, we get more storyline for a certain part of the game, and then another year, year and a half goes by, and we get another DLC, and it's more story content, and maybe they've updated some of the other things. And then those sell well, because they've got this many people, and they've continued to update the game, and make it interesting, and add new stuff in it, and do some of the things that people were hoping were going to be in there. And then another year, year and a half goes by. And then we get another DLC. It becomes this kind of... It, it, it's, a, it's legitimately a platform, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can mod stuff in, but then they are also participating in the modding stuff in with official content that just keeps going until it stops selling. This is one of those things I've always thought was weird. Like, why did we only get so many DLCs for Fallout 4? Or for Skyrim, initially? Like, they go through this... Period of time for like the next two years or so where they release on a schedule all the DLC that comes out They did it with all three they did it with New Vegas and then they just stop Because they want to make the next game mm-hmm. But why not designate a certain part of your studio as just like they've done for 76 and they've even outsourced some of this as The people who continue to make content for this thing that people are still playing
1: like what they did with rust for example like rust ten years ago looks like a completely different gaming experience from a completely different time in history. And it seems like every month they're dropping like, Oh, here's like a changes to the map here. Like now you can build like CCTV cameras, drones, or even just at its
0: smallest bit. Here's just more story and characters. Yeah. Like here's a reason to spend another 10, 15 bucks and come back into the game for another 20-30 20-30 hours or whatever yeah and place through some new content and maybe then you decide oh I'm gonna do a new another replay of the main story and then you realize oh they've made some changes there too But this is cool and then you know you take a year off You do you play other things because it's natural to just kind of go play other stuff And yeah. then they've got another release and you're like, oh, there's more about this character that I really like that's cool I'm gonna get back into that and I'm gonna play through it I I don't see any harm in that like especially if it's not sapping resources from your ability to move on to the next big title and all of that stuff Um, if something like that makes enough money and sustains itself and you you have a team of say 40 50 developers all just kind of siloed off working on that and it sells and it supports itself and it makes money for the company and Mm -hmm. the fans like it why not why not keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) Like uh, maybe there's a reason maybe there's a good reason. Maybe it's the whole like well We don't want to wear people out like the MCU problem That could be it too So maybe just take time off and then put more stuff out again You know, it's not like it's I don't know It seems like there's more flexibility around these things that would create more content in ways that we would all enjoy than What has been tried yet, I guess
1: In a time of more so upheavals unrests, worries stresses in both real life and the gaming industry a lot of people are you know running to to video games media in general uh as a form of like escapism um and you know obviously then there's different kinds of media that sort of like because you know art is a reflection of real life and that just bleeds into the media that we consume because the media is an art and the art is a reflection of real life. So, you know, it's a, it's a vicious cycle in a way. Um, what is, what is, maybe what do you do and, or what do you advise people to do to sort of take on the different medias and create in a way that is both, uh, you know, sort of, not really embracing that escapism, but like following the escapism, but also being able to then turn around and reflect what they create or what the experience uh with that like, you know, view of reality in in the in the surface of what they make or in like the rear view mirror. So
0: like as a creator, how do you like As a
1: as a creator, as a gamer, how do you how do you stay how do you stay grounded and, and, uh, like, how do you stay grounded but also like aware and like optimistic at the same time?
0: Yeah. I, I, th- I think not spending too much time on social media helps. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's the podcast. You I, the right I thing. <laughs> think that's the
0: solution. Um, I, I think the death of joy is loving a thing, like playing a thing or loving making content for a thing and then seeing a bunch of people be negative about it. Not even your creation, but just like, man, I just got through that new you know expedition in Fallout seventy six, and that was a blast. And then you you're browsing Twitter or Reddit, and people are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you!" Yeah, they make you do this in the
1: expedition. I hate it. Yeah, you and just then, see all the all the people talking about all the negative aspects, right?
0: And you just got done playing, and you were like, "No, I had a lot of fun. What's wrong with you guys?" You know, like yeah, and and I think that to the Fallout community's credit, especially fans of seventy six, they've done a Really good job. Just like closing their ears to a lot of the naysayers out there and saying well I have fun, so I'm just gonna go have fun while you guys all complain, you Mm -hmm. know And I think that's that's the I think it's I'm this is deep down really a human question how do you stay true to the things that you enjoy the who you are and Not feel like you have to justify yourself to a greater, you know social dynamic that's out there saying something different um And I think that's something that we all have to have to justify, you know Like and and it happens in video games or happens in your taste in music or movies or whatever, right? Like well, you know, like maybe you're like well, I really do like Nickelback (laughs) and I'm like cool Okay you know, like you, you, have fun so with that. you say
1: you say that in kind of like a judgy way. But I think I was literally just having this conversation with like my my chat in stream or like in a discord server. Like Nickelback is like the band that everybody says is awful. Right, but then they right. hop in their truck and they blast like, you know, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. like saving me or like, <laughs> right, right. right.
0: But, but that's but that's that's how that goes. Right. You You say I like this thing that is publicly usually shot down. And mm-hmm. then the other person, me, in the conversation looks at you like, OK, sure, cool. You know, like they don't know what to say about it because they're like, why would you admit to that? There's that, like that right. awkward feeling of like, I'm supposed to hate that. So aren't you supposed to hate that? Why would you be proud of that? Right. And it creates this weird social dynamic and it happens online. It happens all over the place. Um, and it happens in video games and things like that a lot. And I think the I, I think that just comes down to us just being OK with who we are. And Understanding why we like the things that we do and it's there's nothing wrong with saying I like Nickelback and Then the other person going okay, cool I guess and then you can go well You know what that most people don't realize about Nickelback is X Y Z and I really this song really resonated me at a certain Important part of my life, and I know why I like this and the fact that everyone else doesn't like It's fine They don't have to that doesn't matter to me, you know like you don't have to be Antagonistic in your defense. You just have to understand why it is you like a thing and then be okay with that You know like like if you actually dug into it The reason any two people like playing the fallout games will probably be different in certain ways There are probably people who are Just they just really love Nuka-Cola for some reason, you know, I mean Nuka-Cola is cool But it's not the first reason I play fallout You know But like Mm -hmm. maybe some people just really really love the way the artwork looks and the whole the idea of like soda And they just love drinking soda and like that. That's a thing for them And even though that doesn't resonate with most of the audience that doesn't mean they're wrong It just means that they just need to understand look No, that is that is why I like it I really like this. I want to make a nuka-cola camp in my 76, you know characters base, you know, like whatever um, and that's totally fine maybe I really like it because I want to read every terminal and I want to learn all the lore while playing through the game which is what most people skip over that's why they listen to shows like mine so that they don't have to sit there and read in the midst of rather shooting things right mm-hmm. and maybe you'd rather shoot stuff it doesn't mean you and I are wrong we just love two different aspects of the same thing there's nothing wrong with that um, maybe you love science fiction and I love fantasy we both love forms of fiction neither of us is wrong we just probably need to understand why we pick the one we do you know like it, these the fandom type of stuff like the arguments around fandom is so silly it's not politics and it's not religion right like
1: none of to some it is <laughs> to some
0: it is but that's the thing is that like politics debating politics is a life or death thing because legal policies laws will determine who lives and dies religion Is Potentially a life-or-death thing depending on how literal the actual reality is there around the things that you believe right? Like Mm -hmm. those are life-or-death things The enjoyment of a video game what bands you listen to that's not life or death That's just taste and maybe somebody has different tastes than you do and maybe they have different tastes than the majority But that's fine own it, you know like the most attractive This is one of the things I learned as a young man the most attractive thing you can do excuse me that you can do Is be confident a Average looking person who walks into a room confidently is more attractive than an attractive like Stereotypically attractive person who works into walks into a room looking like they're scared of the world and That's what that's how you have to treat your fandom, you know, like well, this is what I love. Oh Yeah, well, yeah, no, I really love it. I really love it. And this is why that becomes attractive in fact being the counterculture sometimes can be even more compelling than falling into the majority
1: That was good. I think that was a uh, I think that was a good uh, good quote to, to end the end the podcast on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so
0: love what you love like enjoy what you enjoy uh, You know don't let other people tell you that you can't enjoy a thing I think the fallout 76 community knows that more than most people Oh, no, yeah. They
1: fought tooth and nail for that. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. For years, they've been arguing on social media about, like, well, you're an idiot because you didn't give the game a second try, and it's a lot better now. So maybe stop stealing that from yourself and actually enjoy things, you know? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club, where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.